Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. I I feel like the season like just started and we're already like three quarters through it or something. Maybe mm-hmm. it's because there's stuff we actually want to watch this season. Yeah, maybe maybe it's going by so quick, but like some of the shows I'm watching are like at episode eight now or something. Yeah. And I'm like, really? We're we're already I and some of these like I don't want to end. Start. I don't you go ahead, Iro. It's almost summer. Right? Well, yeah, yeah, we're we're almost uh we're almost about to hit our our eleventh uh, anniversary. Another year here, uh, oh, but it's wild. Time is flying by, and some of these shows I don't want to end. I don't want Birdie Wing to end. What are we <laughs> gonna do when Birdie Wing ends? Like, I mean, we'll we'll start a spin off of like Birdie Wing AUs every time. You know, I'm gonna have so to like... go back and I'm gonna have to go back and watch Mad Lax well, or something. There's, there's got to be a bowling spin off called Turkey Wing. <laughs> Jesus that's Christ, pretty, that's pretty good, actually. My goodness, <laughs> awful. Uh, yes. I was thinking more of a spin-off where, like, the the like fate of nations is decided by golf. Call it G Birdie Wing or something like. So that. okay, I've not read this manga, but I see it pop up occasionally in the like, new releases. But the title is like, it's an isekai where baseball, all things are decided through baseball, and the high school ace has been transported to another world, or right? Yeah. And I look at that title and I go, yeah, okay. What if it was not Easy Kai, though? And then I move on with my life. And then what if it was golf as well? Yeah, the one exactly. true sport. And also a Gundam fan. Anyway, so Birdie Wing, huh? Yeah, well, we'll get to talking about Birdie Wing and all of our other shows in a moment. But let's introduce everybody. I'm Jell. I'm joined by Iroh. I'm still here. I'm not dead yet. You're still here. Not dead yet. Uh my brain just automatically says I'm joined by G here, but he's actually not with us at the moment. Uh, no, so. indeed. Like I said, I'm not to, dead uh, yet. I'll have to What's summon... good, everyone? <laughs> I'll have to summon uh, as much uh, burning fire and passion mm-hmm. as I can to try to make up for G's absence, and he may or may not join us later. We'll see. But uh, And we are joined by Zig. Indeed, since I was last on this put- podcast, a man put on a hat and sat in a chair, and everybody was very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yes. well that's uh, I mean that's all news at this point, right? Yes. Yeah, the the, yeah. W- the world of anime moves too fast for real world consequences to have any effect whatsoever. Uh-huh. I feel like here in the states, we did not catch a lot of that news from the coordination. Oh, it depends on who you I guess it depends interact on... with on a daily basis. My, my understanding is that there is a specific subset of freaks who uh, yes. would definitely okay. talk your ear off about it. I, I personally did not catch a lot of it, fortunately. Good! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I probably heard more about Eurovision than the coordination. Hell anyway. Because yeah, it's more important, that's <laughs> The more important happenings on that end of the yes. world. Yeah, yeah, it's still related to the EU. <laughs> Yes. All right. Well, enough of uh, enough of all that stuff. We've got uh, anime and other things to talk about. And, yes. you know, since since we have both of you here, uh-huh. I think uh, it's appropriate. We do a little more uh, toku time. Uh-huh. Superhero with, time. Yeah. Yes. Speaking a, of European royal politics. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, actually, <laughs> kind of. So. 
uh, well, you guys pick which one you want to talk about well, first. Let's kick off with King Oja, uh, Royal yes. Sentai King Oja, just to maintain the integrity of the Segway, which isn't completely ruined by me pointing it out. Um, so you remember how, like in past, in the past, we've talked about how modern modern tokusatsu, or at least the Toei produced stuff, that is Kamen Rider and Super Sentai, has sort of settled into a weird niche where it produces like a fifteen episode miniseries, and then like the rest of the show. I feel like we've we've mentioned that once or twice. Yeah, like 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 they finish the story and then they still have like half the show to go or something. Like, yeah, they've kind yeah, of done that again. Right. Like where it was like they had the team unite, you know, they had the villain's big plan of putting enormous cocoons around the world that summoned a bunch of monsters we've seen before and can we can reuse their suits because they're now giant. And also probably Earth would have been destroyed or something and they defeated them and they defeated the, the main villain. Um, and In episode like 10. Yeah. It was, <laughs> you still have a whole year to go. <laughs> well, it's kind of weird because then the bad guys just kind of carried on like none of that had happened and they were just back to their evil schemes and everybody was fine even though they beat the big bad like he exploded and everything but obviously he didn't die because he's the big bad so anyway so um the show now seems to be so it's normally around this time in sentai shows that the sixth ranger shows up um like this trope which has been going on ever since original Power Rangers has been reliable as clockwork, you know. And so this time, the Sixth Ranger is a weird dude in white with, like, an iron mask on his face. Yes. Okay. And and we think it might be a riff on the Alexandre Dumas novel, The Man in the Iron Mask. Sure. I mean, that like, sounds appropriate for the themes that have yeah, been going it, on in this it's show. It's just a little right? odd. Also, he has, like, Ivo, can you remember his weird, like, European name? Oh, it's, um... It's something vaguely French um, 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 J- Jeremy... Okay, that Jeremy Brazieri. Yeah, <laughs> right, okay, he sounds like a restaurant. Um. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. The, the, the but, White Spire Ranger. Yes, uh, yes. So... Like that's exciting, right? Because like it, they seem to have shifted the plot into another gear, which is cool. Like we kind of are still waiting for them to like end up on normal Earth, where things will be much more expensive and much less expensive and much less green screeny. But um, it doesn't. But you know, I I keep yeah. saying it's going to happen, everybody, and then they keep not doing. <laughs> No, they, right. they seem to be in it for the long haul. It's but, just you know, crazy. The show's still fun. You know, the Sixth Ranger showing up is always like a good way to inject a little bit of uh, kind of like a new element into the mix. And it does look like this is going to be one of those years where uh, the Sixth Ranger is initially like antagonizing the team before inevitably joining them. You know? He's also so that, the narrator of the show. Yes, they also did the old, actually, I was there and I was the narrator, which was interesting. Not sure it served anything besides a bit of a weird twist, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that they're... Um, it, the show continues to be fun without, like, I don't think it's really stepped up to being exceptional at any point but it but it's solid you know and and Mm -hmm. and and that's fine you know i'm just interested to see whether they can take it to another level right i think the most interesting part of king oger to me so far 
um, because, like, for example, I really liked Lupat, which had the two ranger teams, like, facing off against each other. Yeah. And though the King Ogers are, you know, they galvanize as a team to protect the world and beat the bad guy or whatever, they're all still kind of, like, they don't get along super well, right? They kind yeah, of are... Black Ranger especially has been playing, like, every side... Right, every which way, and he he doesn't seem to be about to give that up, and so there's there's still a decent bit of tension in which you know adds some nice character dynamics. Yeah, they're they're all kind of still not quite at each other's throats, but there's an uneasy piece, uh, and so that's an interesting dynamic that I haven't necessarily seen a lot of in Sentai, which is normally quite formulaic. Yeah. I, I guess, like, to me, the most interesting thing is still the production. Though. Yes. And, like, for better or worse, it's kind of hard to escape it, and I just kind of want, at some point, the show to become more interesting than all of the stuff about the making of the show, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that might be a tall order, but it's, it's at the moment, you know, I would say ticking along nicely, no cause for concern, but perhaps doesn't really stir the blood in the way that you might yeah. want. As much as a show for eight-year-olds can stir the blood, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. uh, Super Sentai. Uh, I will say, say, I I know people who don't watch that much anime or Tokusatsu, and for whatever reason, they've really latched on to King Oger. Is Is it it because it's like the Mandalorian? I don't know. I think it's Is just the first a one they watched. Reason or just right. happened, this one happened to come up. I think, I, yeah, I, think I think it's also that like every few years there's a fresh wave of hey, do you know they're making they're still making Power Rangers? Right, I was going to say crazy. Yeah, um, right. You hmm. know, so it's kind of like cyclical, right? You know? Cyclical you, nostalgia bug. Yeah, new uh, people yeah. roll into the fandom at regular points. You know. Um, also, like that Power Rangers 30th anniversary special happened on oh Netflix, God, that's recently, right. which probably uh, prompted a few people to get into the source material. Freaking yeah, there. that happened. Yes, yeah, yeah, it 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 was weird. You know, Rita murked that dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want to be repulsed to kill somebody? Uh, yeah. Sure, it, yeah. it was <laughs> weird. <laughs> anyway. Um, how about uh yeah. how about Common Rider? What's uh, so going on that end of the Common world? Rider's entered kind of like the last the last, you know, third of the show, yeah. let's I say here. Which but, is yeah. where kind of the plot is just so overloaded now that kind of like stuff is still interesting, but it's kind of messy and uh flapping about a little. And and that can be interesting, and I think in Geats it's mostly there in the good way. Basically, like the big plot thing which happened is that like Geats came back from the dead with no explanation whatsoever, um, beyond like a vague implication that like the goddess of desire did it because she's his mother. Um, and common mm, writer is Jesus. Yes. Also, it firmly supports our increasingly likely conclusion that he is literally Jesus. Christ. Well, it, it might have um, been. Um, it might have been Tsuburi, right? Awakening to her own goddess powers. Yes, also, right? possibly. Um, but anyway, like out of nowhere, like the what we're meant to assume, I believe, the original, like, the first game master of the game has showed up. He's invisible for some reason, like, probably so they can show off some fairly basic green screen effects. Mm-hmm. But, it's just a um, floating cloak, right? Except sometimes he isn't, remember? Yes, they, like, did it, they did it the one time 
to show off, and then of course the rest of the time it's just fully wrapped around his body, yeah, he, so that we don't just, have to he's do just the a effect. Dude, like, but anyway, the the long and short of it is they've turned it into a battle royale, which is like the way all of these things eventually go. Like, eventually it becomes rider versus rider. So now the explicit purpose of the show is riders have to kill other riders, and yes, kind of. Right. Like, I think I think that came up last time as the save money and on not having to make new monsters just and right. common writers sell better right yeah the toys sell yeah. better. I, I mean that, yeah that has been why like over the past 25 years or so we have gone from one common rider per series to like eight or nine common riders per series but um but like the whole point of like the way that this battle royale game originally started was that it was always riders versus the monsters and since then like we've gone through like i think it's like five or six versions of the game now right i arrive at least along those lines um and like first it was riders versus monsters then it was monsters versus riders and now finally it's riders versus riders so the implication seems to be that this is the one for all the marbles so to speak and Mm -hmm. um yeah, we've only just started, so it's hard to say, but they're doing a good job at like keeping the plot turning over. You know, also like um I don't know if I think we've mentioned him before, but one of the characters who's literally just the statue of a frog um might be the secret mastermind, and it's great because this statue of a frog just keeps showing up in unexpected places <laughs> and like acting like a mafia don. And then when the when the dude who like voices the the frog shows up in real life. He is dressed exactly like the statue of the frog, and it's it's great, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, he's great. Yeah, so it it's all kind of a mess, but like an engaging mess, you know. Like they're having fun mm-hmm. with it. I'm having fun with it. I, I hope you know. I, yes, I, I see you're it. also having fun with I, it. Um, as as we just mentioned with like King Oger, that these shows sort of have a, a issue of being comprised of a bunch of mini arcs that aren't necessarily well connected to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of being a whole story, and Geats's premise is built to like facilitate that sort of status quo shift uh, every so often. Right. So, I, I... so it's not doesn't hit super hard. It's it's not like super jarring when it happens right yeah the, the the disjointedness is kind of built into the premise and so they can sort of smooth the cracks over with that so like the gear changes are a bit less jarring so to speak as opposed to like last year's show of ice where they they very clearly were shifting in and out of arcs and also it was bad but right. um i guess yeah i guess just like because we're entering like the last fourth like you said uh and it's like i'm not I'm enjoying it, but I'm not super, I don't know how invested I am. And even at this point, it's like, I don't know what Geats could do that would make me like genuinely feel like catharsis over the narrative. Right. Yeah. I I mean, like the thing is like by, by definition, Tokusatsu heroes are like showy and invincible, but like Geats is that to the nth degree, you know, we've never really felt he is in danger of, anything and the character is not designed to do that and that's not his actor's fault you know the character is written as like a slug as as a smug slightly dickish kind of dude and he plays that dude very well but mm-hmm. there's just right there's just, not necessarily yeah. a huge sense of stakes yeah the thing is we have we've entered the part of the series where he's supposed to be like very emotionally invested he is supposed to be very emotionally invested in what's happening but it's like because he hasn't shown that 
type of emotion before it doesn't land properly. Yeah, honest, honestly, I'm more invested in what happens to the supporting cast at this point. Yeah. you know, which, as problems go, is not a terrible one, but it is a very it does common make thing, the show a little uh, yeah. a little unbalanced in that regard. But it's still good. You know, I'm still having fun with it. Yeah. Um I think both the shows are in a fairly good place at the moment, but we'll have to see. For geeks, especially, it's uh, how they wrap this up could really have a big impact on how the series comes across overall. Yeah. yeah. Once again, uh, the rare time when Common Rider and Super Sentai are not awful at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> two two good shows. We have to cherish these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When was the last Take time it happened? Uh, I I can't remember. You know, it's been <laughs> so long. Now. <laughs> yeah, so many, for, yeah, was like so many identical red. Yeah, like bug eye. So it just all blends together at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's talk about some anime. And yeah. Must we? Yeah. We, that's what we're here for. Full time took the podcast. You, you yeah. can't be. You can't be the the best anime podcast on the internet without talking about anime. But okay. But isn't the best anime podcast the one where there's no talk about anime? Come on. Admit it. <laughs> hey, you okay, talk about, okay, yeah. talk about we, the we actually for two yeah. hours. Th- this so. is actually a, like a this is actually season. a season <laughs> yes, yes, that has good guys. shows for yes, once. Yeah. So perhaps not Violent, the season to make yeah. that argument. Let's Look, put man, it that way. Like, you tell me to stop shooting myself in the foot, and I say, "Give me an automatic weapon." Yeah. Um, well, let, we, Joe, why don't you tell us about my love story story with Yamada Kun at level nine nine nine? Yes, let's let's dive into my romantic comedy power hour here with <laughs> mm-hmm. both of. Uh, I'll be talking about Skip and Loafer as well. Both of these shows heating up the romance a bit. Oh my! Um, Too hot for TV. Well, <laughs> let me let me let me. This is a terrible way to follow up that that statement, but. You remember what I was telling you all about? Is it weird that a uh, college-age woman was getting romantically entangled with a high school kid? <laughs> Who hot for TV? <laughs> Which, to, to recap for everyone. Isn't there like two years in between them, though? Like... Yeah, so to, re- so to recap for everyone, he's a high school senior, and we know she's in college, and she can drink, so she's at least, at minimum, 21? 20. 21? 20 is oh. the drinking age. Japan, yeah. 20, yeah. So she's at minimum 20 years old, and he's at maximum 18 years old. So it's likely that they're only about two years apart, which is not that weird. But also, we were kind of talking about it is kind of weird depending on the context of just because, like, your life changes so much in between yeah, those and, two years. And right? also, the, the weird part is just those two groups of people do not generally have a great deal of interaction. Right. Yeah. Like, and, like, like, I don't know, Japan fetishizes high school so much that. Right, yes. Yeah. So, in these in these episodes, the, the the guild gets together, and they decide to go to the school festival at Yamada's high school. I I think, and it's it's not because oh I want to. It's not like the main girl's like oh I want to go see Yamada. It's it's more like the younger girl in the group who's in, still in middle school is applying to that high school or something and wants to see and, it. And so I think this is the girl. I think who is, re- is like into Yamada, right? Yeah, or kind of was until they she just became best friends with the main girl's name. For for the sake of ease, the main girl's name is Akane, so we'll refer to her as Akane. But sure. the uh, they began up becoming like good friends or whatever, and that sort of goes out the window. But um, okay. 
so there is like a reasonable explanation somewhat as to why they're going to this high school festival. But mm-hmm. it, it is a little weird when Akane gets there and she's like, oh, man, all these kids, they sure are tiring me out. And I'm like, you're, you're you dating you're... one of them. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and there's like one. It's actually kind of funny where there's like a bunch of um, first year girls that because all the girls, of course, are in love with Yamada because he's super hot. And uh-huh, of course, and so 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 when Akane shows up and is talking to Yamada, she's getting like murderous death stares from all the girls, mm-hmm. and and there's like one bit where a bunch of like the first year girls come up and they literally depict them as like a group of baby chicks like chirping at her. <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah. And, and, she's, and she's like, oh man, these these kids these days that sure are wearing me out. I feel so old, and I'm like. Okay, so those were first years, fine, but like it's a little, it's a sure. little. Weird. I mean, it's like when you're <laughs> a senior and you're dealing with freshmen, right? Yeah. <laughs> or if you've <laughs> ever, if you've ever gone back to your high school at any point in life, even if it's <laughs> yes. like, even if it's like a month after you graduate, yeah. Like yeah, I was gonna say, like in 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 the show's defense, like the moment you leave school, like everything in school yeah. becomes super insignificant and like babble. Yeah. So know. I, I, so I'm not saying it's bad. It just again, it's just the whole. It, it highlights how weird and kind of I don't know fascinating that whole gap is from just yeah. a small amount of time. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, um, but yeah, th- this kind of leads up to one of the better anime confessions I've ever seen. Okay, um, all right, and it and it's it's definitely different. Where one of the other guys in the guild starts joking around and is like, "Hey, well, if you got all these." girls you know looking at you like they want to kill you then you know if you got to put up with that you might as well just date for real right and you know the oh, and, wait, and Akane, I, well, I thought ahead. they were so, dating for me no they're not they're not technically dating yet okay sure but they of might course. as well be it's that yeah. one of those kind of things yeah it's anime uh, and and uh akane kind of gets all flustered at this and yamada's like yeah no probably should that uh, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and and, cool. uh, and uh, you know, there's some. Uh... Yeah, there's some. There's some. Uh, you know, things that have to get worked out after that, and uh, mm-hmm. including. But Yamada plays it pretty smooth. At one point, she's like, "Oh, you were just joking, right?" But like, hey, you know, <laughs> if I said, if I said. If yeah, I said, "Oh yeah," then hey, let's let's start this hypothetical situation. Yeah, uh, you know, you know, if I said, you know, hypothetically, uh, you know, maybe, okay, sure, let's start dating. What would you say? And he's like, "I would be honored." And I'm like, "Damn." <laughs> <laughs> okay, tone down a little, kid. Yeah, I was gonna simp energy is off the charts. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! And it it ends like it ends really nicely where she's just like. You know what? You're 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 a fun guy. Let's go, and they like just go and enjoy the rest of the festival. And that's kind of where the episode ends. So I don't know like what ha- is going to happen next, but like yeah, that sounds kind of sweet. It was it was very sweet and just like again, I, I love anything that avoids the big you know dramatic uh-huh. concession yes, scenes that don't happen in real life, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't think yes. anything like I don't think things like this. Well, I mean, I mean, who uh, knows? I mean, like everybody's different, right? Like these, this is more realistic than the big confession scene. Put it exactly. Yes. Yeah. So you know, as I'm, 
yeah, I'm not going to go there. I was then thinking back at different situations in my life. Yes, this is probably more realistic. Thousands than, uh, of years ago. Yes. <laughs> back in ancient times. When the gods were young. When you couldn't just text message people. Uh, to Anyway. Um, so, yeah. I, again, enjoying the show. Another two episodes with very minimal video game content. It was mostly like. Sounds good this, to me. This I was last episode, say, a good thing. Right? This last episode, they never touch. They never go into the game at all. Um, and yeah, and, and so I mean, I mentioned last time. I kind of like when they do the video game stuff, but probably because of they use it sparingly, mm-hmm. you know, for you know getting a good joke here and there, and it's kind of just more functionally just, yeah. the reason why these group of people have come together, right? I'm just so, saying, like, I mean, if this had, like, Bofuri, like, ratio of game to real life, like, you probably wouldn't be as into it, I assume. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, Bofuri uses it for a different purpose, right? Yeah, but so that, I, I know. But that, is, yeah. but that is a show where they're, like, 90% of the time they're in the game, right? Yeah. So this is I a mean, show the, where the they're, the ultimate like, mark of... Uh, whether this show will succeed or not is if they arrange to go on a date and then just like spend the entire date just sitting in a room at two PCs playing the game and like <laughs> across the room. <laughs> well, we'll see. I wouldn't rule that out to be honest, but hell yeah, I, it's the type of show where we could make that work. I think so. Yeah. Um, just yeah, it's it's, a, it's still a, a good time. Um. As for Skip and Loafer, uh-oh. uh oh, no, that's that's not a bad thing. That's, okay, all right. Yeah, they they um they have a, a pretty good episode. You know, I, I like how the characters that or the characterization works in this show because like everybody feels closer to real people than like. You know how most anime comedies, everybody has like their one joke, and uh-huh. they like pop in and do their one joke and then leave. You to know? be fair, yes. that's not anime comedies; that's comedies, so. or just comedies in general. Yeah. Sure, um, everybody in here has like more well-rounded personalities. They have good days and bad days. They have good moods and bad moods. Like there, and you know, there's different things mm-hmm. that they're interested in, and you know, uh, and they kind of play. They actually kind of play around with that. So. As the sort of, I guess, romantic angle starts to heat up because mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to. What's the girl's name? Uh, God, I have too many names to remember. This Akane, uh, Mitsumi in Skip and Loafer is the main mm-hmm. girl. She gets a call from her friend back home, who she's been keeping up with, who lives right, in the yes. country. Who is like seemed to be a major character in the first episode. Yes, and, and she's still and such. Yeah, so she still keeps regular contact with Mitsumi, and she tells her that she has a boy she likes. Whoa. And they, they talk about what it feels like to have a crush on somebody, and how your heart goes doki-doki, and you just want to mm-hmm. run, run out of the room screaming when you're around them and everything. Yes. And as you can as you can expect, as Mitsumi's like, huh, I wonder what that feels like, she will be feeling this by the end of the episode, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... And it, but it's interesting because the episode itself is kind of like I don't want to say her and Shima, the himbo guy, get into a fight per se. An, but an argument. They kind of have like a natural clash of their personalities. Sure. Right. Which which yes. feels like and Very it feels like in real life. It, yeah, and it, it doesn't feel like you know, you know, most 
anime rom coms are going to pull right. out like dumb misunderstanding. Yeah, and it's like it's not like they didn't. It's not like there was a misunderstanding. It was like just like they're they just they, had different opinions. Yeah, because like Mitsumi is yeah. very driven and wants to be you know prime mm-hmm. minister and all that, and she's very diligent about her studies and everything. And Shima's just like. I don't care about school. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he just decides one day, ah, I don't, I don't feel like going to school. He just doesn't, do, just doesn't go that day. And right. like this sets off this whole, like, you know, chain of events right. in Mitsumi's mind that like, Oh, is he actually a delinquent or something like that? Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and, you know, uh, they eventually kind of come to appreciate, you know, that what things are important to each other and it, like they it like makes them even closer because they were able to like talk it out and you know that's when she gets yeah. the doki doki attacks <gasps> but uh yeah so it was, it was very it was very um sweet and well done i thought on that and again yeah. just i like how they're handling the characterization that, that, that's like a more natural sort of conflict that arises between people in, in real life rather than some sort of like insane misunderstanding of oh no they're like cheating on me with five other people or whatever i don't know yeah but instead like instead it's like i don't know we get into an argument because your friend like acts a certain way and like just because of how their personality is and yeah you're and you're not just gonna like you think about things a certain way because that's how your personality is and you know like yeah just get upset right exactly yeah and it's not like you're just gonna like ditch your friend or stop talking to them right like you're right. gonna figure out what's going on right so mm-hmm. anyway the the second episode uh mitsumi gets a hard lesson in politics oh my uh because actually time has oh, passed. She, she does want to be prime minister yes yeah. that's her that's her she like <laughs> what's her position on kaijin rights uh, <laughs> <laughs> um well, she's been trying to find her way to get into the student council, but has an opportunity because she was just right. a first year, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. A little bit of time has passed where I think it's, I think they said like at least six months have passed at this point. And it's like, wow, time okay. the, it's time for the student council elections. And she manages to get in as secretary. Okay. But her, um, her cool, hardworking senpai, who's a third year, she, uh, who, who is the, by far the best qualified for the job. Uh, mm. loses the election and can only be vice president because some like asshole slacker guy who's super popular decided to run for president to make his his uh school up his like college applications look good or something like that right so it's politics is what you're mm. yes <laughs> even though he has no intention of uh you know doing any yep. of the work or anything yep. yep and uh yeah so she so she's trying to you know console her cool senpai who's very upset about this and uh they they work in like I always love me a good callback joke. Mm, yes. And I don't remember if the, Ira, you can remind me if this was in the first episode or the second episode, but when, when she introduces herself to the class, you know how they have everybody get up and say their name. Yeah. And she says, you know, I'm Mitsumi, whatever. And, and she, she, in her head, it sounds like a joke where she says, I'm born to lead or whatever. <laughs> and and it's like the instant she says it, she realizes that what a weird, stupid thing to say right. in her entire um, class, like and, those, and, ah, nobody, shit. Yeah. and nobody and nobody laughs or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy, she like sees him walking down the hall with his friends, and just like you know, 
in the middle of the conversation you, you hear him be like well i guess i can't help it i'm just born to lead <laughs> and everyone's and laughing she, and he, she's like right. damn it he and could she, even pull off the joke right <laughs> damn i've been already been up i've been upstaged on my own yeah. game so that was pretty good but that's pretty, um, that is pretty good yeah i was loving a good callback joke but yeah so you know they work out their feelings later and that you know realize that it's really it's dumb high school school council stuff that's not really that important you know that kind of thing yeah but um yes yeah, so, i mean that show continues to be good i i again i think with yeah. that episode i appreciate it's not all about mitsumi and shima's like kind of you know friendship slash romance thing like mm-hmm. it's really about her whole life and her other friends as well like it's a it's a yes. well-rounded package and, I, I um, think I think when it comes to this kind of thing, you can go both ways, right? You, I think you can be very focused on the core romance, or you can spread it out. But obviously, you need to take whatever path you're going and and do it well. You know, yeah. It sounds yeah. Like, I right? mean, and I I think a lot of these shows end up doing, and it sort of is a stumbling point. Is they start very very focused on the one thing, and then at some point that has run its course, like just in what sorts of stories they can do. And then are, they are forced to branch out to the side cast. And so you have this like weird, almost prologue before the show really starts. Right. You wouldn't be thinking about any particular show. Would you? I know because I know I am. Uh, I'm thinking about many different shows. Is the thing well, I, I, I was thinking about horribly. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that's a good example. There's like yes. what Shikimori, whatever. There's the Tomochan thing. There's, I mean, even Kag- Kaguya does this a little bit, but like pulls it off, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I it's think just, to, it's to your just point, a thing. yeah, right. To speak to your point, I don't think it's inherently a right or wrong way. It's just do you do it good? Yeah. <laughs> do you right. do it well? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm I'm just saying, like, consciously making that decision early on can can have benefits as far as making it good goes. And it sounds like that they they have decided quite quite early on that they're going to make this a wider story than just kind of like an ultra focused romance yeah so um yeah both those shows really solid good times enjoying both wow those. good shows yeah <laughs> in my podcast well i guess speaking of good shows i know right uh we should uh i didn't have to wait too long this week to get to anime of the year Whoa. Birdie Wing Golf Girl it's story. It's time for a new type of anime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think, wearing, baby. I think there's like a and and I'll admit I'm guilty of this, perhaps a little bit of a fear that if we were going to switch over to Aoi's story mm-hmm. that we might drop off a little bit. And I'll admit, yes, it, you know, her plot line is obviously not as like chaotic and deranged as Eve's right. time because she's Fresse. still like trying to do the pro circuit instead of golfing in the mafia right yes there was yeah. less criminal involvement in but, uh Ali's side but they still managed to get in some like absolutely ridiculous totally dumb melodrama uh-huh. yes yeah, i was gonna say some real juicy melodrama yeah. uh on, which on is rose, so criminal disease yeah which is so over the top that it becomes entertaining right like um, I, I tell you, when I was like, and I've only seen the first of the two episodes we're talking about here, but like 
the moment that I knew that this was that they were still firmly on course was when Owie is out on the course and she's like walking through the crowd and I I I, I actually said out loud, you know. If I were the producers of this show, I would just have Amaro show up in a wheelchair right there, and then guess what happens? <laughs> they, this show uh, yeah. more than any this show more than anything I've watched in a long time. They know exactly what the people want, and they give it to them. <laughs> yes, uh, and I think that's a good example. Yes, it, it, it's like it's so surreal because he's surrounded by these like completely regular spectators, right. and he's just there in a dressing gown in a wheelchair, looking like he's been copy pasted in from another scene. Yeah, and it's incredible. Yes, um, uh, Amro, who who worked himself to to the point of hospitalization, who you know activated his terminal disease by golfing too hard to develop the the high new golf clubs. The, the high streamer yes. golf clubs for the, the, the shining wings uh uh-huh. golf clubs for for Aoi to it, like it's oh, it's so dramatic like the, when when he when he has the clubs and he's like this is our first and last gift to you you know my uh-huh. daughter and then immediately collapses yes. after he gives her the clubs or whatever it's like I like I wasn't sure I wasn't sure he was going to survive these two episodes to be honest like right also, like, the implication that, like, Owie, who, let's remember, has been playing with, like, the best of the best equipment you can possibly have up to this point, but the moment she gets these, her hands on these ace custom clubs, suddenly mm-hmm. she's, like, on a whole different level. They're a new type of club. Yeah. I, I will point out that that incredible that was a, part yeah, that was a is entirely yeah. by the translator. I mean, they know, they, they know what they're in. Yeah, uh, I know, but it's always worth recognizing that. Scene. Yes, Absolutely. shout out to the localization team on, on that joke, but... I mean, uh, so I, I, you guys know Gundam a lot more than I know Gundam. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is the is yeah. is there a Shining Wings Gundam? Like, is that a specific reference? Yes no. and no. Like, n- n- no, not not the name Shining Wings, but like the the uh, bag is clearly like the palette of the High New Gundam, right? Which is Amuro's like s- super special final Gundam. Yes, he's uh, ultimate Gundam, basically. Yeah. So ultimate, it never actually appears on screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wait, what? Did they just make it the kit for it to sell uh, it or something? It's kind of, oh, yeah, is, it, is, is, is this more complicated it's than we more com- Basically, it only appears in a novelization, and they, but they have made a bunch of kits of it because it's a cool design that people like. Yeah. Um, yes. And so, like, yes, I saw that bag and I went, ah, yes, that's the high new... Uh, yeah, so just uh, yeah, very goofy. And, yeah, so and, and let's let's not forget that um, this episode also reveals that Aoi's caddy is in indentured servitude to the family. In, oh yeah, in, we'll yeah. Oh, we'll get into that. that. Yeah, we'll get into that in the in the second episode. But yes, uh, uh, what's what's her name? Oh, is it Amane? Amane, yeah, sure. Amane Shinjo. Yeah, um, she is, yes, she was sold as a child into indentured servitude to the Allies' uh, caddy. Well, her parents, her her golf parents died or whatever, and so she was taken in. She's been secretly resenting, or, you know, somewhat this job for the Mm -hmm. the past, you know, 10 to 15 years. Allies' mom is like, we'll look after you, and then immediately puts her into golf slavery. We'll we'll look after you, but the contract says you must support Ali until she goes pro, however long that takes. Yes, and as it turns out, her 
is her cousin was it that yeah. is the top her, golfer her, her aunt her aunt yes who uh makes her an offer to join after she you know and so there's a little conflict there um <clears throat> i think we failed to mention that always new clubs lets her shoot her own magic shot now yes shiny uh, shot she, she she gets the birdie wings yes um her golf club explodes into a flaming phoenix uh, <laughs> with silver fire and so dispels yes. the rain. Uh, she 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 needed she needed to power up for her upcoming showdown with the youth, right? So uh, she now also has her own magic shot. But um, mm-hmm. so that was all ridiculous and fun, and it kind of carries over into uh, episode two where. The you know the, the they start I think they start the tournament in episode one which is going to be like the if Aoi wins this she gets to turn yes, pro the Japan or, Open yes, uh. the Japan Open and uh, she's going up against uh, Amane's aunt or whoever it is and who's like the top golfer in Japan and she's got a commanding lead and you know Aoi is falling apart because she's so worried about Coach Amaro who's she's, I guess now she's her dad. <laughs> Well, we know he's definitely her dad. Well, yes, but, but I mean, she, but she kind of knows, now and and as she well. and she's like kind of now understanding. And yes, that, it leads up to that moment, Zig, that you mentioned, where he literally wheels himself out onto the golf course to to encourage her, and uh, you know, this you know clears her mind so that she can yep. make this miraculous Start comeback, a miraculous comeback from like eightieth place. Yeah, which I'll point out. It's really hard to come back in golf because you don't have like that right. much margin for error. Yeah, there, like there is a maximum amount you can come back, even if you hole in one every hole. Mm-hmm. Like, and 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 that's and that's like you have to be also like if you're behind, you have to also hope that the person ahead of you does bad, right? Yes. Like you can't just like yes. overpower. I mean, and that's what happens, is, right? She got shook. She got a bogey yeah. on that hole. Yeah, it is a game where you have to play the law of averages. Yeah, so. Um, coming back from like I forget if she was like ten strokes down or something like that is absolutely absurd. Um, but of course this is Birdie Wing, and mm-hmm. we get into our second episode as the tournament's going on, and this kind of becomes, you know, I always caddy Amane her t- yes. her time to shine. Amane's episode, basically. Yeah, and <laughs> I guess she's we're we're I don't remember if they mentioned this before, but we're told she good thing that she's a certified weather woman. <laughs> Yeah. What? So the her plan, her her, her insane <laughs> oh, plan to win the open is that she's <clears throat> she's tracked the weather and she she's <clears throat> oh, pardon me. She's tracked the weather, she's interpreted the weather, and she knows Aoi can golf in the rain. She she has the the strength. She's she's learned how to how to go golf through the rain. Yeah. Uh Reika but- cannot. You know, she'll, she'll be. I, I suppose it's kind of academic to point out that in real life, Ryan normally stops play. Um, well, the but... the idea. Well, it, yes, she factors that in as well because usually they let you play for a little bit and then at yeah, some point absolutely. they call it right. So, right. um, so yes, so she she comes up with this plan to work around this incoming rainstorm, mm-hmm. so that uh, Amane can basically get into better position, and she knows that Reiko will get rattled by the storm, and. She says how like she's envisioned and imagined in her head all the shots that Aoi yes. has to make during the raining part, and she tells her, "All right, hit it that way, and hit it as hard as you can that direction." And like she managed to still play 
play good to the, through the rain and Reka tries to keep playing, just gets rattled by the whole thing. And then, uh, she, um, <laughs> so, so right. So finally Reka's like, all right, I see what you're doing. Well, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll finish my shot here and then it's gotten bad enough. They're going to call it. I'll just, I'll just wait until uh, they call the game and then we'll wait until uh, we come back. And but the rain stops. Zig, I'm going to place post the screenshot for you since you didn't see the episode. Yeah. Okay. I eagerly await it. Here you go. <laughs> That's a screenshot. All right. Um. Yep. So, so Amani is, so Rick is thinking this and Amani's like, well, I'm glad I got to, got certified to be a weather woman. And as she says that the clouds part, and the sun comes back out, and she's forced to play uh-huh. her her shot. Also, it's worth pointing out that she has like the fucking Gen- Gendo Ikari yeah. stuff going on. Yes. here, like the, the black glasses and stuff. Also, yeah. the the payoff of because her her name has the kanji for rain in it. Uh, yes. Oh, a pan or play on words. Uh-huh. Yes, and uh, the the clouds part, and the sun comes out, and Rika's so rattled that she bogeys the hole, and this gives Aoi the opportunity to come back. With an amazing mm-hmm. putt and win the Japan Open, Hi. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So with with Aoi now in position to go pro and and play like on the American tour, Eve has to hold up her end of the bargain mm-hmm. and win the European tour so that she can also go to the American tour. And uh, we catch. So I mean, that's most of the episode. We we catch Eve's bit in like the post credits, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. The same. And, She's like in Scotland or something, and it's all foggy sure. and everything. And uh-huh. um, and she's and her and uh, Satome, her caddy, are standing yeah, out. She on gets the, the, on the new type flash and dodges a golf ball. Uh, she, yes, what? she just sees a she sees a a, a, a a ball like fly by her face, and she's like, "That's the blue bullet." <laughs> yes, and I've she looks she looks over through the mist as like Leo walks out of the mist, right? And it's he's fucking and he had, elementary school killer. Yes, right. and he and he has his new golfer Aisha. We don't quite see her at the scene, but we do see the absolutely absurd preview for next week, where yes, apparently where she, she just like she's just doing the Happy Gilmore like run up running yeah, start she, drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so sure. I can't. I cannot wait for next episode, based on that preview. Because yes, yeah, she just like gets a running start and hits the ball as hard as she can. Just of course, Shara's fake Shara's ball has a fake tween Lalasoon like mega killer. Protege, I mean, like, right? Like Shara's thing is kind of taking impressionable teenagers yes, and, and loading them, them into, into a gun. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, so stupid Shara. <laughs> It's so, it's so good though. Um, it's yeah. Great. So I'm I'm assuming the next episode or two will be Eve winning the European Open in some yes, so that somehow. they can they can finally face each other as yeah. equals. Which would put us at um, I mean, how many episodes are we in now? Let's see, real quick. Well, this was episode twenty, so we've got maybe four to five episodes. Yeah, so sure. we so assuming twenty one and twenty two are going to be Eve winning the European Open. Mm-hmm. That'll give us like two we more episodes. F- yeah, and then what they'll they'll face off in America, and what have to have to face the American golfer, which is probably the black lady in the opening. Yeah, I mean- 
the mysterious African-American lady who has been like in the opening from episode one. <laughs> yes, the final about. boss. I mean, just... her deal is going to be just that she's, like, she's really good at golf. No, She's just the like, best like, golfer in America, yeah. right? Like, like that. That's just like, the thing is going to be that, that she has no gimmicks. She's just really good at golf, I suspect. Um, yeah. It would be very make it, funny. Make it so that she, because she's like six and a half feet tall, she just can drive the ball farther or something. I don't know. It, it would be very funny if even Ali make it to the pro circuit and then are instantly crushed because the pros are just so much better than <laughs> they're mere answers, teenagers. But... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um well I mean they're hitting like pro golfers. I know, yeah. So I mean Ali still has to confront her genetic disease. <laughs> yeah, she'll probably yeah. So there's there's and a lot her of mother who has kept the truth from her all these years. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of uh, possibilities still, so we'll mm-hmm. see. Um, but yeah, we're we're definitely on path for the final showdown here. So, and I, I again, I enjoyed out. I enjoyed our little Alois Alois side story here. Uh, they yeah. managed to keep up the keep that same energy here for the couple episodes. Thanks, Birdie Wing. Thanks, Birdie Wing. <laughs> Thanks, Birdie. All right. Well. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the one show that Freddy might Wayne. be the yes, only Freddy thing, <laughs> the only show on this list that might be more crazy than Birdie Wing. Uh, let's talk about Heavenly Delusion or Tengoku. Okay, Kyo. it might be more crazy, but in a very different yes, way very different <laughs> movie. Wing. But there's some, there were some moments. I tell this you, week. Yeah. The golf in this show, incredible. <laughs> yeah, so well animated. Well, Zig, so you you started watching it since we last spoke. Yes, but what have you been your overall right, impressions? Yeah. I have been super into it. I think that, um, okay, so I'm about to say something that is like going to sound damning. This show kind of reminds me of Darling in the Franks. <laughs> I no, I, I get it. See where you're coming from. Yeah. It, it conceptual, if, conceptually, not I, like I, I see if everything the, the bad about that show was instead good, except <laughs> the animation, which was good. Um, no, I mean, I think that you know, the thing about Heavenly Delusion that I've seen, and you know, I'll try and be quick, but like, I think none of the individual parts of the show are particularly new. You know, we've had you know, shows about like weird masterpiece society, Brave New World, like. Teen mm-hmm. genius you know we've Darling had yeah we've yeah, had post apocalyptic you know mm-hmm. survival slash kind of like adventure shows before, but I think what I've been impressed by is how well this one controls the mood, controls the storytelling, and how well it has done to like endear us to the characters and make them seem like fully rounded individuals i think the key to the show is that it's often very funny like i think yes. that there's yes. a lot of humor in it but there's also a lot of angst there's a lot of horror you know and i think that rather than clashing they found a way to integrate all those things to make the characters feel so three-dimensional you know they have facets sometimes they're goofy sometimes you know they're they're emotional sometimes they're horny um, you know, mm-hmm. all of these things, I, I think that it's just, like I said, I don't think any of the ideas are new, but the way they've been put together is is really top-notch, and I have been very excited to, to start it and go through it at pace. 
You know? Yeah, when when you asked me, Zig, you were saying you were going to try to catch this in Oshinoko. I was like, prioritize this one because I think you're going to actually yeah, really and, like this one. Exactly. <laughs> this is I very did. much something yes, you're going to like. I did, I did prioritize. Yeah. Uh, I did prioritize this one, and I did, um, and I did really like it. Um, although I had some caveats, but we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, I, um, I, I mean, I, I had a lot of the same impression, initial impressions that you had, and I think as the show has gone on, I've appreciated that it's only I think managed to do those things better. Which, which I think some of the like when you're talking about blending some of those elements together, sometimes you just need time for it too. Right. And I feel like yeah. over time mm-hmm. they've done uh, a good and job with it. You know, I talked, I, I, I talked. That... Oh, sorry, Joe. I was just going to say, I think that one factor as well is that since this is an ongoing um, manga, you know, we know we won't reach the end of the story here. We don't have to chase that end. And that means we can let the individual vignettes, the individual stories breathe a little more, you know, yeah. give them a little more time. Yeah. Um, no, but you know, I talked about last episode uh, on the last episode of the podcast how I really love that scene where they were showing like the little town and people just kind of still yeah. going about their lives, and yeah. it's like I feel like that gets lost in like these types of stories a lot of times where it's only about when you're talking about the post-apocalyptic angle, everyone is you know tired roving, and depressed and, yeah. and yeah. roving and bands of marauders hovelled like, in so, a dirty corner somewhere and it's like that's yeah. not what humans are right like you're gonna have yeah. good times and bad times and yeah like, civilization still exists it is just you know a slightly more yeah. fractured edgy civilization started than it was betting before. on go-kart races uh, yeah yeah, yeah exactly. because that definitely doesn't happen in any yakuza game at all um yeah but but yeah but, you know, uh, but, I, I think that's one of the things which has appealed about this depiction of the post-apocalypse as well. Mm-hmm. So, as far as these two episodes, I guess yes, we're all ready the, to get sad. Met up with the... Um, they're, they're searching for the Immortal Order, uh, who are said to know stuff about the man-eaters. They're allegedly putting man-eater parts into, into people, which allow those people to live longer, uh, etc. Which yeah. is true after a very, very distorted fashion. <laughs> yeah, and 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 also following up on leads to find the people that yes. uh, yes. Kiriko is looking for, right? Yes, in particular, there's the a mysterious doctor. scarface yeah. doctor. If, there, right. if there's a doctor skilled enough to put her put Haruki's brain into Kiriko's body, uh, then perhaps this skilled doctor is the one put, skilled enough to put Hiroko parts into humans. In general, it seems like a dude with low medical ethics is something they should be looking out <laughs> for. So. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. So they kind of go through their investigation, I guess, where they they mm-hmm. they think these uh, this one group is the the moral order, but they're not. They're there's this okay. other. They're all group some they're sort of. There's some sort of cult that op- opposes the immortal order. Yeah. Calling them a cult might be a bit of a stretch. They seem to be like a. I, I a, think they're meant to be that, but like no, they are. They are I fanatical. They right? are definitely like, meant to have overtones of cultishness. Yeah, they've like, got a logo. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I I think the thing is that like obviously when we're introduced to them in the first episode, those elements are downplayed, and then gradually they're ratcheted up and up as right. the worm turns, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Right, and, they kind of tr- you know, they try to pull they try to pull like a little switcheroo where they kind of look like the good guys at first, and right the the right. people that they think are the immortal order but turn out are not 
are are the bad guys, but then they kind of by the end of you know the latest episode, well, so they the kind impression of I got that around the impression I got was that they are the immortal order. It's just that they're not doing they the don't things. do any of the shit that they're they're meant right. to be they're like they're supposedly doing. Right, you know. And, and I, um, go ahead. I, I think it's a good example of how like um something that you know kind of like this show has not necessarily been huge on direct social commentary but i think it's a good example of how like in a society that is on the brink where nobody trusts anybody and like everything is distorted through chinese whispers and stuff it's a good example of how you know one thing has turned into this kind of like horrifying like body mutilating uh like you know transgressive right it's like these, like these people who are evil when mm-hmm. really it's just, yo, here's a bunch of dudes and also a doctor who made some very basic prosthetic limbs for them. Right. Yeah. It's like you have these people looking at their <clears throat> prosthetic limbs and going like, they're, they're taking our they're taking our feet for some sort of nefarious purpose. Yeah. <laughs> when actually it's, no, you idiots, we cut off your leg because if we hadn't, you would have died. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I, I feel like that was... I don't want to say that that kind of aspect, of, I want to say it was heavy handed, but it felt like kind of was like broadly gesturing at some big ideas and not really like doing much with them. But that's fine because I don't think it's really like the point, right? Yeah, it's, just it, like it, it's kind of the second side, side yeah, point. It's, it, it's kind of like the second message sort of nestled in under the first one, so yeah. to speak. So at the heart of this all is we learn what the so called immortal order is. The whole purpose of it, yes, is apparently um, to keep this the the yes the one mysterious, creepy Doctor Usami who has a like a mutilated person on life support in the basement, right? Uh, yeah, and more machine than man now. Twisted yeah, and um, you know, he brings in Maru because he has basically touch. he's keep he's keeping her alive because if she dies. She's going to turn into a man eater of, of her disease. Yeah, and he 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 has he thinks Maru is able to basically end her life without that happening with his power. Mm-hmm. Right? If she's halfway to being uh, a Hiruko, then yeah. perhaps Maru's he, Hiruko killing powers can. Yeah. He has just demonstrated that by killing a whole bunch of man eaters in, in the, the basement, basement of yes. the building. This also which, this also brings up uh, was the King of Hotels also does the King yes. of Hotels also have that disease? Yeah, because he was able to phase through her chest, right? Mm-hmm. So, po- right point that that was kind of establishing that yes, this is something that he can do, right? And we we get this sort of. I don't know, made in abyss tier, uh, <laughs> really sad, emotional, and yes. sympathetic mm-hmm. scene. Where I, I think, um, sorry if I can just interrupt Joe though. I think that this is this is a really good example of writing though, because it is you know it's a sad scene, it's an emotional scene, it's clearly here to make you sad and emotional, but it also advances some important plot points and ideas right yes okay the idea that like people are being infected and turning into these things and that maru can can kill kill them because they are close to being man eaters that's all good gristle for kind of like the background information we're we're learning about the world you know so it is simultaneously a a terrible personal tragedy story, but also helps fill in some important things about 
the greater mystery that's going behind. And I, I just think that's really good, efficient, well put together mm-hmm. storytelling. Yeah, and you know, this is not a type of so when when the time comes to actually kind of perform this uh you know what they need Maru to do. It's not an easy type of scene to animate yeah. and act and direct and everything mm-hmm. and still kind of give it, you know, the necessary, I guess, dignity and like weight. Mm-hmm. And as we've said, it. yeah, as we've said, you know, this show has looked amazing all mm-hmm. all all series. And, you know, we're mostly talking about, like, you know, the action and the but in this very slow, quiet scene is some of like the most impressive. Right animation and directing yes. you've seen in the um, series so far when it's real and all it really is is them you know, kind of unplugging some machines and moving yeah. moving a body out to the patio but there, there's it's like i think the there's the because like we've seen him kill hiriko before and it's like the supernatural way he enters them and just like viciously crushes their heart or core yes, or whatever no, right? he showed an anime but then you, you get this whole scene where you know he very slow and it's like his just his hand goes in and crushes it but yeah. you know here we get the whole long like mind palace right or yeah. he and, slowly and goes in yeah goes into his dimension and just like you know tenderly you know rips apart this this core uh yeah, I was very grateful they didn't like that, that. I was grateful that they did it that way and not depicted it the way it worked with everything else, right? Right. Like, so, because, I mean, like, yeah. But it, it is thematic. Like, stylistically, there are some similarities, right? But it, it's a. It's right, a, like, it's here, a different it, rendering of the it does it with more empathy, right? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, they shift to a, to a palette, you know, to a very what a white palette with strong reds and blues and very kind mm-hmm. of like wispy watercolor animation that just <clears> looks fantastic. It's so good at like just, Oh, we are in a completely different place, a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Here, you know? Yeah. Um, I have a major criticism about this scene, mm-hmm. uh, but I want to hear if you guys have anything else to say first. Um, I think, no, I think I know. I think overall it was good, and I think it was a good job of like making you care in a short amount of time, right? Because we didn't yes, really right. know these it's people a pretty up compressed until. Arc. But but by the end, it, you know, you still feel I think the the weight of it and everything. But the next thing I have to say is going to have to deal with something else. So if you want to sure, go, go ahead. first, I think the music is bad here. I think they go, they go full orchestral bombing, like, uh, like all the, all the strings piano, and like... sad, like sad strings and piano, and it's <laughs> too much. I think it, it's it's way too much. I think that it, it took me out of the moment. Mm. I get, I guess I didn't really notice the music, so I, maybe that's not good or bad, but I, I do feel that's like yeah, it'd probably be more appropriate to just not have any music at all. Right? Yeah, I absolutely yeah. would have said no music, but instead they go like full Disney score on it. And mm-hmm. and the uh, the reason it stands out is because everything else is so masterfully minimalistic about this. Oh, but I, I will say, like, related to the music thing, the, like, acoustic slow version of the ED uh, yes, is fantastic. great, though. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I like no that argument. a lot. No argument there at all. I think yeah. that that is much more appropriate for the closing scenes of this episode. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you know, it's not offensive. You know, it's not a, a crime. But I just think that um, 
you know, it feels manipulative in a way that the rest of the scene is not. And I, I really would have preferred something more laid back or even just no soundtrack mm-hmm. at all here. That's my only real critique. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I think uh, just to wrap that part up specifically, like the the doctor's choice at the end, what he does mm-hmm. is like, again, looping back to, I think there's kind of a theme going on with Maru where it's like, what is your responsibility to help all these people, right? And like how everybody's kind of making their own choices. Like, I mean, technically he could have maybe gone on to help other people or whatever, but he's like, you know, I'm not a doctor. This was my purpose and everything. And he made that choice. So it's yeah. just more things for Maru mm-hmm. to think about as he's trying yeah. to process his and, role in all this, right? And <clears throat> I think that there there was a risk there that that, um, that Maru's breakdown there could have been a little emo, let's say, but I think actually they handle it very well. You know, his anguish feels earned. I think the responses feel genuine, and they they don't milk it too much. Right. You know, it's a fairly brief scene, and, you know, he sort of gets himself back under control fairly quickly, but it feels visceral and real, and, right. and I, think that, um, I think that that's about the best way you know you can you can do a scene like that you know you communicate the trauma but in in a less histrionic way it helps because he was like very apprehensive about even the the mercy kill right you like using it to do that right uh yeah and so yeah sort of can culminate in in that of of him like freaking out uh a little bit and uh we get the sort of reveal uh right that the Dr. Usami and his, his charge uh, are two of the uh, kids in the in the nursery. So, was Usami meant to be that? Because I got that. I got that. There's the one kid in there who had a thing for Mimihime and was like a super genius who was always tinkering with technology and stuff. Yeah, and so they don't, that's they how don't he make made it like all these like prosthetics. Yeah, so they don't. Make it super obvious. Mm. But... Ah, see, I I don't think I got that at all because yeah, I, no, I, 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 I was I felt like I was Iroh, you're, putting I think those you're pieces right. together halfway yeah. through yeah. the episode, right? Because I I understood that the woman was was mm-hmm. one of those children because of course it reveals that she has the plate in her where her eye was, you know, with the symbol of the institute on it, and that's the mm-hmm. thing that the doctor is playing with before he shoots himself. Yeah. And when they know, show and... the um. When they show the end scene, I feel like they showed her eye or something at the end too to kind of like make the connection, like yeah, that was her because she has like the same like eye color and eyelashes and all that. But um, yeah, I think Iro, I I don't know if they were explicitly saying what you were saying with the other guy with who they, the they don't explicitly was, but, say it, but, but I think yes. it's clear. To me yeah, I think it, I I kind of made it's the an same implication, right? So is the myself. implication that these people, these children, are clones and they're being grown and I like, think well, that's that we don't. I, I that's we don't that's know, the, right? I think that the nursery segment is in the past, right? Like because they're trying to create like super children before the the day of fate or whatever they said and and uh, we and we kept seeing we kind of saw like the the i guess the the beginnings of the man eaters right when right the magic is all Uh, there's the the, um um, when they zoom in close on i mean the disease tario had the same disease in the nursery and when they cremated him there was a like core uh left over yeah Uh, so 
Tokyo is a, a girl in the Institute uh, and not, you know, not a boy with the same face as Maru, you know? Uh, so, and he was born like right after or the during the cataclysm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's still questions there. Yeah. I was, right. I was like, I was like trying, my brain was going to the fact that like, they were Mar was looking for heaven, right? That's right. what his whatever I mean, that means. I've I've assumed all and, along that heaven is is the institute. Right. Like, like, but like if that's the and then I'm like, okay, well like I don't know. Heaven and traditionally is where you go after you die, right? Like is there is it is there a chance that that stuff is happening in the future? But I think it's more likely it's in the past, right? That's the, yeah. the obvious play. Yeah, there. I mean I, I had not actually considered as as obvious as it is in retrospect, I'd not actually considered perhaps that the two segments were not taking place simultaneously. Right. But I, of course, it's entirely of, possible. I was sort of putting this theory together while I was like going back through the first few right. episodes right. with using because yeah. we were catching up, and so I could like reevaluate some of that stuff with knowledge from yes, later. Yes, right. If you yeah. were going back a second time, yes, it would be more obvious, right? But. Yeah, no, Zig. I, I think I get what you're saying because, like, in the in the the post credits part, the um, they frame it as if she was waking up from a dream, as if like they it was either happening at the same time or like yeah, like ha- it, yeah. it's kind of a subconscious kind of like right. the way I took it was as kind of a a, a sub kind of like an echo that was coming back mm-hmm. to her. Yeah. And so I, I think that there is a possibility of that, you know, and that would also explain. Maru, you know, being right. similar to Tokyo. I but, mean, like, yeah. opposite sex clone is a classic sci-fi. Yeah, clone. or just yeah, think... or just uh, her child, right? Because she was right, uh, that... she, she is slept a, with that dude sleeping uh, with Kona, and yeah. like in the episode before, it was revealed that she was sleeping with Kona. She was throwing up in the in the room and right, was like, yes. "Oh no, am I also sick?" Uh, yeah. Yes, that's a good point. Throwing up only ever used to communicate morning sickness. <laughs> yes. So well, you know. Uh, yes. Yeah. Or or drunk. No, no, no. I'm I'm being yeah, literal. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. That show's real good. I'm yeah. I'm um, told I'm told the next arc of this show is is polarizing. Uh, interesting. I'm told it's well. potentially. Dewiling, like I, I, w- I was told it's sort of like the equivalent of like hitting the Bondroot stuff in Made in Abyss. Sure, I mean, I, I think, I think the show has shown a willingness to engage with fairly controversial topics so far, and I think right. it's mostly handled them well. So mm-hmm. let's see how they do. And the adaptation has been, yeah, top good, notch. great, no, right? So yeah, no argument there. Yeah, it's been All right. a great show. G, are you with us? Yeah, wow. Uh, that was a great discussion of uh, Heavenly Delusion. I totally agree with uh, whatever you guys said. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Things that you were definitely listening to us say. That might, that might be a smooth enough transition that I don't actually have to edit this. Uh, well, but, I uh, got it in one. Well, Yes. Uh, I was G. just pensively listening in on yeah. your guys' uh-huh. very... Yeah, I know... Um, I know you can't uh, say anything because you probably know what's <laughs> happening. But oh, yes, have you we read were... the manga, Jay? Uh, I am familiar with the source material. Ah, okay, sure. Yeah, 
So um, you get to hear all of our speculation and just get to laugh to yourself quietly, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, that show's good. Let's uh, move along. G is back with us, and with him here, we can... We're officially allowed to talk about robots again. Um, <laughs> just in time. Uh-huh. Just in time. So let's talk about Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury, which, of course, only one episode this week because we had another recap or something. Recap, yeah. Yes. So uh, it'll be a short discussion, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll have nothing to say about this episode. But uh, <laughs> I mean, the robots show up so little in this episode. I mean, yeah. it's just, uh, you know, just Ariel. Just Ariel's there. <laughs> no, I feel like this is like. <laughs> wow, cool robot. This is like Shadik outplaying Mirine and then Prospera outplaying everyone here in their various. Uh... The bald faced, tra- <laughs> the bald faced snake like attitude of Lady Prospera in this episode is. She yeah. is you can just be blatantly rising. distrustful to literally everyone, and then right. I mean, but because Wait, you're she... telling me the designated mask villain of a Gundam I show know. might be a conniving piece of shit. I've mean, never betrayed like, so, anyone in my entire life. Uh, yeah, right, true. yeah, so we've all laughed at Char Aznable's, like, audacity to, you know, like, the way he behaves, but, like, Lady Prospera is literally, like, just <laughs> openly dealing with every faction in front of every other faction. Yeah. Like, knowing that now that, like, because now that Delling is out of the picture, now that the Benari group is in this very, like, uncertain place, right? They don't know who will be their next leader, uh, even though, you know, yeah. Shadik is leading in the polls. Um, and so everybody is desperate to get that edge in what, you know, everyone is convinced that the corporate wars are happening, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the thing about Lady Prospero is you don't have to hide your double dealing everyone if you have the thing that everybody wants right. exactly right she has the gundarm technology and yep everybody wants it dealing now. with everyone yeah yeah and it, what what i just the thought that just popped into my mind right now is that the thing that allows Miriam to take the election is that Delian will wake up and 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 endorse her hmm hmm maybe Maybe. But, I, I could see that. I mean, I guess it would be an interesting contrast, right? Like, because, again, right, Delling is Mirarene's father, and, you know, Prospera is <laughs> ostensibly Soleta's mother. And <laughs> we are definitely seeing now the contrast in how these two behaved and treat their children. And I'm very, very curious how that is going to play out in the end. And I think that will probably require Delhi to regain consciousness to continue that thread. I, I'm not so sure. I think it's more likely that somebody kills him and that's the inciting incident that just causes right. everything to break to pieces. Yeah. But also, also this show is juggling so many plot points. Who knows if they'll have time to get to that? Yes, we're because... only just like, for example, Dr. Bell is, is taken in by the Space Assembly League, who has shown up like twice and has n- never been clearly stated what they are. Yeah, right. that's I, I, yeah. You have to just like put the pieces together and go. Oh, they're probably there's some sort of official like government, like space UN inspector, right, the space FBI. Like, yeah. I mean, the um, thing is, I'm sure the show thinks it established them well because they appeared in the first episode, but that's not the same as establishing them right. well. And it's like, yeah. what I thought they were, I was correct, but also it's like, yes. I had to but, think, well, what? 
how did they act the three Again, times? Like, this, is, this is this is the thing we keep bringing up of like how much would this show maybe have benefited from? Look, if we can't get a full fifty episodes, could we get like thirty six or something? <laughs> three you know, like is like three cores, but. I think it speaks to the strengths of the show that, like, for all of our, I think, completely valid criticisms of maybe the slightly seat-of-your-pants way they have approached the world-building, that the emotional beats, the yeah. the big emotional plays and swings of the show continue to be very strong. Um, sort of set the scene, right? The one episode we have is in the aftermath of Suleta losing Ariel uh, in the, in the uh, what in the was duel, it? In yeah. the Astakazia screwjob. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and we, we kind of, you know, you, obviously the, the question is, how is Suleta going to react? And we kind of get this, like, montage of, like, oh, don't worry, she bounced back. She's just trying to live her life as normal school girl. Suleta right? being, obviously, right, hyper-cheerful. Uh, yeah. Suleta and, forgets her about Mercury. About yeah, Ariel. right. Um, and Choo-choo knows better. Of course, oh, yeah. of course. That is the most important thing about this episode, is we get a good amount of Choo-choo screen time again, you know? And of course, we're all hoping that, right, like, where is this going? Is Chuchu going to teach Suleta anger? Uh-huh. <laughs> and not quite. It's more just like Chuchu's forthright personality is right. sort of the catalyst that pushes Suleta to uh, at least attempt to uh, um, right. confront Miorine about her she, she doesn't teach her anger. She te- she's trying to teach her about being honest with your feelings, right? right? right. And not and, like, like assertive. Like... Yeah, and, and yeah. So... Yeah, she kind of gets. She kind of drags <laughs> Suleta over <laughs> to uh, going to see Mirin. We all got to uh, talk to our boss. You know, got to talk to the boss, and um, you know, it, it kind of it kind of confirms that Choo Choo is right because and because Suleta's like, yeah, I do want to go see Mirin, right? Like, it's not, but just, and it's really sad because I feel like. Suleta continues to be characterized like as an actual child, which is appropriate because she's an actual child. But like uh-huh. her, I guess her her knack for bl- her like tendency to blame herself for all this is mm-hmm. very like I think age appropriate maybe, and it's very sad because it's not her I think, fault. I think like, also, also I think it's also especially like the result of her upbringing, right? Yes. Like she has it's been hyper sheltered, right? Like right, both sheltered and taught to have a great degree of codependency on her two family members. Uh, you know, uh, her mother right. and Ariel, right? And that is sort of... And this is where Okochi... You, you can really feel the Okochi writing in this episode <laughs> where he's, like, delightfully tightening the strings and, like, you know, like, you know, throwing his characters into, like, their absolute nadir, right? Because... Right. You put them uh, out the on the tightrope and... In, you put them out on the tightrope and make the rope thinner and thinner until they have to do something, right? Like it's Exactly, yeah. right. And so Suleta tries to confront Miorine, but rather than find Miorine, she finds Ariel seemingly unattended. And uh Ariel even beckons Suleta to to uh to pilot her again, which is how we get Suleta uh... yes. <laughs> Suleta is invited into the, the like mind palace of of, yes. of the Ares. The yeah. Ares, the children of the coven, uh, yes, as they call themselves, <laughs> and they basically say, "You only exist as like a physical extension of our will, and right, yes, we don't is, need you anymore because we've, revealed, we've been upgraded enough." 
yes, it it is uh, the 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 things that we have all speculated have come out in the open that Prospera has not. Suleta is not <laughs> just yes. you know the clone of Eric yes. Samaya. She is a clone of Eric mm-hmm. Samaya, and she just happens to be the clone that was allowed to keep her physical body to be used as the like vessel through which Ariel could be piloted. But the Eric the 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 Airy Cabal informs Suleta that once they hit um permit score eight that Ariel will be fully self-independent, that it will no longer require a pilot, mm-hmm. and thus um, Suleta is no longer necessary. And this is, you know, framed obviously as a very, like, traumatizing moment for for Suleta because, you know, I think in many ways, right, psychologically, Suleta could square away losing Ariel in the sense that, well, it was... I lost the duel, so it was my fault. Right. To have Ariel straight up say, actually, I don't want you anymore, is like, it it drives the knife in in such a... Uh To literally, (laughs) like, fly you out into space and then shoot you out of my cockpit. uh, Yeah. Kick you out, right? Right. And, of course, the thing that you really take away from this reveal, though, is that Prospera and Ari, or Ariel, are... Mm -hmm just guilty of the exact same problem that Miorine is, because you know, as we all speculate, and as the end of the episode reveals, where um, Prospera and Ariel have a one-to-one, yeah. it's not that they necessarily want to abandon Suleta, but more... They don't want to involve her in their revenge scheme. Right. We are now approaching a crossing of the Rubicon. Whatever Prospera is about to do next is a point of no return, and Ariel is apparently fully on board with it, Ariel's like, yeah, dude, let's kill Delling. <laughs> I mean, but, c- considering Ariel's originally per- original personality uh, mm-hmm. saw, their, saw their father get wasted by Delling's attack. Yes. Uh, yes. You know. So, but they do not want to evolve Suleta in it, right? There is this idea that Suleta is in 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 Prospera's mind, in Ariel's mind, and in Miorine's mind. There is idea that oh, Suleta is untainted; that she does not mm-hmm. have to. Become right. a part of this so without taking any, to school, right? Without taking into consideration what her actual feelings what she are, wants. right? Yes. And I think that it's is going a, to be a sort of character turn with Suleta mm-hmm. going forward. It's and a, asking herself. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead, Iro. No, 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 just what she wants. Yeah, a, I mean, I. Oh, sorry. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Iro. Yep. It's um, it's an interesting reversal because like a lot of these types of shows, you know, we joke all the time about like, well, war is bad, and like, oh, these child soldiers who must out these death machines to you know and like oh it's such a terrible thing that these children have to pilot these tools of violence uh and so of course you know we are abstractly thinking this about Suleta as well but then the show can contextualize Suleta being forcefully ejected from the cockpit of her her violence machine as like no stop please let her back in it's like right. her, it's, all she, it's all she wants is to yeah. stay inside with you know with uh with ariel right yeah and so it can contextualize this thing that technically it's a good thing that Suleta is being you know not being dragged along into this act of violence that is sure to follow but because of how because uh Suleta's personality and character and stuff like 
It's is treated as a, as a tragedy. Right. She's being kicked yeah. further down the stairs from her perspective. Yes. Right. But it, it's actually not that different from past uses, except that the difference is Suleta is so badly gaslit that she wants. <laughs> right. Back That's in, what I'm saying. Whereas like, at least like Amuro and all of well, his successors were I think, like, I think, I think, I think what Euro is bad, but I have to do it. Right, what um, I think Eero's more gesturing at is that every Gundam, every, well, every good Gundam, <laughs> understands that you, sh- like, that academically, rationally, you should not be rooting for the child to pilot the robot. But at the end of the day, most Gundams eventually arrive at the conclusion that, well, they gotta do it, or they're the only one who can do it, etc. The et robot so to have a show, very cool. It is very cool, yes. But to have a show internally recognize, like, to have the show's in-universe adults internally recognize... It is terrible that we make Suleta pilot the Gundam. <laughs> and right. our actions, our, our, our intentions, whatever, like, I mean, the actions themselves are misguided because at the end of the day, what they are not doing is actually communicating with Suleta. But, like, the intentions seem to be a recognition that children shouldn't have to pilot war machines. <laughs> right. right. And I guess my argument is just that, like, I don't necessarily think that that's super unique to the franchise. Like, the franchise has always been, well, you know, if there were another way that involved not making the children pilot the war machines. But, but there the isn't. Is that, right, so. But the show's ten. I mean, well, okay, like, for example, we're watching Zeta right now, right? And, like, is there an actual real reason why Char can't pilot the Zeta? You know, like. I mean, there like, is in universe, but I'm, it's kind of finicky. I, I know, I know, but you, you get what I'm getting at. If we're talking about, oh, like, Camille's the only one skilled enough to pilot the gun, it was like, no, he's not. Like, there's a lot of other qualified people who could potentially pilot that for that thing. And it's not like anybody in that show is actively trying to rip him out of the cockpit, you know? I mean, yes, but that's because that show is smart enough to imply that most of the people around him have ulterior motives. Well, and yes. They're perhaps <laughs> not the best people in the world. No. For example, one of them is literally Shah Aznable, So, yeah. <laughs> yes. but, but anyways, I guess what I'm anyway, getting let, at... Let's, I think Iro wanted to say something, so let's... let's that's what, that's what, no, yeah. never mind. I said, well, you, you're right. You, 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 you told me off enough, <laughs> like... You, no, no, you're, no, you're, you're not, right. I didn't consider like no, no, no. I, how, I'm not how it was in the rest of the series as well. No, no, I, no, I'm, no, I'm completely I'm, 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 the theory. I'm just like I, I'm just saying that like you know this is a particularly striking use of something which has come and gone in the franchise before to a certain extent. You know, I think it's one of the more effective and powerful uses of it. You know, because. I mean, I think it's it, it is definitely like the idea that like you know Gundams have been personified in the past. You know, there has always been this element of like, you know, because you know, yeah, not to paint with too broad a brush, right? But there, you know, be, being Japanese works of fiction, right? There's always this implied dormant spirit that lies in e- even in the real robot shows, right? There's that. <laughs> right, there's but always it that tends to be metaphorical rather than right. And so to make right. it literal and in the way it does, I think. I think I think it's very it's a very it's a very careful like rope to balance and I sort of appreciate Okochi's willingness to look at like how careful of a balance this could be and just go for big emotional swings because even if like maybe like rationally it doesn't always come together in the moment it feels like it works um you know I mean a, a minor version of this that I I I would I need to point out right is 
How, would you confess your sins to Cecilia Dote? No. I don't know who that is. Maybe, maybe I would in the right context. <laughs> the 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 tan girl, the one who is always sitting down in the oh, uh, she's there's there's the, the yes, dueling yes, committee there's girl. There's a comical scene where where Martin, who is the only one yes, left on on school because everyone else has gone to see Marina. And he's right. still the snitch injured. Who, who, he goes yeah, to the, the on, counseling on room, which is a little, just square, windowless room <laughs> with a horror. It's a cyber confessional with a, with a horror in it. No, yeah. but you got to understand, it's a confessional. As in, there's a little confessional screen yeah. it's, and altar it's with very, a horror implanted yeah. into the center of the mm-hmm. altar. It's deliberately patterned off of the uh, confessional, like elevator in Utena. Uh, sure. And so, yes, he's like. Talking to Haro, he's like confessing, you know, that he ratted out Nika to Haro. He's like, "Am I a bad person? Didn't I do the right thing?" And then the fucking panel of Haro opens, and Cecilia Dote is sitting right there, and she just says, <laughs> "Wow, pretty right." Honestly, and she's like, you know? "Wow, I didn't know you were that much of a fucking rat," <laughs> with like the smuggest grin on her face, <laughs> and it's like, "Okay, here's the thing: you take like three steps back." This is an insane scene to include. <laughs> just completely in ridiculous. this episode. It's absurd. Like, why is it here? Like, Martin is like a bit role character. He had one important narrative like, uh, like role to play, I which was knocking out like one step above but, bit role, but yeah. He's fine, fine. But he is part of the Earth House bunch, right? And like you know, like and, and so there's multiple levels of this of like, all right, we have a scene devoted to him. We're gonna have a scene devoted to him in a sci-fi confessional booth. <laughs> and so so now you're on the multi-level of like, oh, the school has a confessional booth? Okay. And then the third level of this confessional booth is run by the smuggest bitch in the school. Uh-huh. I mean, I, she's like, got dirt on everyone. Like, I'm not sure, like, how ritual you are asking, like asking for the response to be but my argument would be this scene is here to reinforce the idea that it, like the school is actually an environment when you can't trust anything and anybody of course it's just right. like it's yeah. the laurel events are just so silly yes yeah, so, i mean it, like it sounds a little uh you know i know writers who use subtext etc right uh, but that's but, also kind of what i love about it which i think is like that that scene is a right. microcosm of at his best, Akochi's skill as an anime writer is like, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It doesn't necessarily have to be rational. If in the moment it still evokes a strong emotion in you, then it's a well-written scene. And that <laughs> that one bit just feels like it, 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 it represents that entire approach to anime writing. I mean, I, I guess if I have a concern at this point in the show, it's we still don't know what the big thing which Prospera and Ariel and like this entire conspiracy has been leading up to. And the- you know, they're they're talking a big game about how, you know, oh, we want to protect Suetta, you know, we want to um, you know, it's so unfair that she's being forced into, you know, being our Patsy. But I, I think that, you know, there are there are multiple ways you can go with that, but you have to deliver a fairly like there's like put yourself in the shoes of the villains for a moment right the villains are saying as the villains always do that the ends justify the means of course right? yeah. so therefore you have to have a fairly monumental end to justify the means that they have gone through and i think the danger here is that perhaps the end 
will not seem significant enough to us, the viewer. Um, I, that's just my, I, you know, I, I definitely see where you're coming from, Zig, and I think I guess a lot of that will definitely hinge on. Because what I'm saying, thing, right? what I, I'm saying is, I think the end is human instrumentality. <laughs> well, because I think, because like on some level, right, like the the actual goal of well, some of the villains has been apparent for a while now, right? Prospero wants revenge, right? She wants revenge on Delling, right, and but she it, believes that yeah, allowing Ariel to enter Permit Score Eight, which will then make Ariel fully autonomous. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we've already we've already established that the the whatever the was what it Quiet Zero or whatever, like that's the plan, yeah, yeah. right? Is yeah. make instrumentality to bring Aerie back. That's Prospero's goal. So we know what the big goal is. It's just like, well, have we established that though? Yes, like, that's a hundred. Like, well, especially in this episode. Yeah. I mean, you didn't see okay, this episode, sure, but sure, like, I didn't she literally it. says it in this episode. But I think it was pretty clear uh, even before. But that. like, the the thing is though that like you say her motivation is revenge, but if she just wanted common or god on revenge, she could have capped. Well, Ellie, it's revenge and. and it's revenge and being with your daughter again. That's the right. Yeah, but what what I'm saying is that clearly, like her desire for revenge has has evolved into some sort of monomaniacal, you know. Yes, of course. Uh, right. well, of course, as as human, as is want to happen with anime villains, but right. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm saying that, like, yes, the motivation might yeah. still be revenge, but the end product can be very different depending on right, what of sort course. of scale I mean, you're grading on there. I mean, a great, like, you know, comparison point here, right, is you could say that all Gendo Akari really wanted was to see his wife again. Yes, I mean, right? that's yeah. kind of the same like, thing that they're going for, but it's like, well, if you're all turned into, you know, you know, orange Kool-Aid, then does it really count for, you Please, know, the uh, generally accepted term is tang. Oh, sorry, tang, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, do they even but, make it? I don't know. But the, yes, but if, or in this case, if you're all just in the data storm, does it really count as being with your daughter again, right? Like, it's it's the same kind of problem. But Right, yeah, I, I'm just saying that we, you know, in, in very rough terms, like, I would be disappointed if it is something prosaic as we did the climax of Evangelion again. You know, I think well, this show is better than that. Are we going to end with? Are we going to end with Suleta sitting in a chair while everyone says uh, congratulations? <laughs> no, we're going to end with Miraine choking out Suleta on a beach. Okay. Um, well, don't no, don't give don't give the shippers what they want. Yeah, don't, don't do that. That would give everybody <laughs> yeah. what they want. But uh, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> um. All right. So I want to uh, I want to cap this off with some speculation. Yeah. The so. Ariel has rejected Suleta and mm-hmm. is now in the hands of Prospera as we're heading toward Earth. We even get a shot of Prospera piloting Ariel at the end. Does Ariel become yeah. the new bad guy mobile suit and they like repaint it red or purple? Ooh, and Suleta gets a new gets Suleta gets a new upgraded Gundam, possibly the one that uh, we saw Jaturk working uh, on. Ah, yes, yes, right. That is and the other she has to not mention. And she has to she has to fight for her wife with her own two hands. Uh, is that, is I, I would that, definitely. Is that, is that the direction we're headed? I certainly wouldn't. That. I certainly wouldn't mind that as a like. Sort of yes, as a as a like as a as a a reversal of fortunes. I just, I, I guess me being like having watched a lot of Gundam, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess if, okay. If any writer is willing to do it, it's a Kochi. But I. I don't know if that will necessarily be like the thing that becomes the story for the remaining six or so episodes, right? Like, I feel like I don't know. Like, to Asking, make the original Gundam the final villain of your Gundam is—I don't know. Unicorn did it. 
<laughs> I, th- I think it. I mean, but I think it thematically would make sense because like, it would. But remember, like, I'm kind of with G here because remember, Gundam exists to sell toys, and like, yes, yeah, you, so you, sell can, a lot you more... can sell a red aerial. Yes, but you will <laughs> definitely what buy that. If, what if the Gundam was evil, but then it turned good again? Then you could sell two different. Then you Gundams. sell. Then you sell a, yeah. a third aerial that has you know magic wings yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. As, I, I just think it's a it's a big ask for them to make the titular mobile suit the bad guy. Like I, I do think though to a certain extent, I think Gel, Gel, you are sort of on the right cardinal direction, and that I think like Suleta, in terms of the characterization. I think a big aspect of Suleta going forward is like, look, we were all like, oh, now now she's at rock bottom because Miorine dumped her. And it's like, no, no, no. This is rock bottom. <laughs> right? Like, this episode yes. is, is I the mean, bottom we, of the once whole again, We once again end with another episode with Suleta bawling her eyes out as she floats yeah. through space. It's very and sad. I think uh, here begins the, the Suleta... Uh, the the as I have now termed it the take Suleta out for ice cream arc. <laughs> the uh, somebody just get her an ice cream or a soda, please. Somebody choo choo, take her out for a drink. I know you're all technically underage, but <laughs> yeah, like the 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 recovery arc, I guess, is what I really yeah. Mean. And I mean that's that's like though I I mean the way we're headed, it's got to be like Suleta finding what she really wants and standing up for it, right? And not just now that yeah. she's been hard cut off by her mother and her sister quotes, quote unquote. Yeah. And, and, and uh, if that does mean a confrontation with her family, I could see that to an extent for sure. Yeah. I mean, Prospera's wearing the mask, right? She's got to be. The... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Whether she's directly piloting the bad mobile suit or, or indirectly, I feel like that would be appropriate, but yeah. All right. Well, We'll have plenty more to speculate on next time when we actually have more episodes, but uh, we still sure found a lot to talk about with one episode with that, I guess. Um, let's move on to Oshinoko. Yeah. And I have things to say. There was a lot of buzz, of, particularly about the most recent episode, mm-hmm. but I want to start. I want to mention with episode five. Yeah, is episode five the most recent or six? Six is the most recent. Five is the okay. one from last week. Well, well, before we either talking about either one of them, I wanted to talk about the there was an interview with Aka Akasaka. Yes, I, I did AMN, get around to reading that, and that came out like the day episode five came out, and the the one interesting question because usually those interviews don't really have any meat to them, right? They're just promo fluff. But one of the questions was, how does Oshinoko compare to your previous work? Which, of course, was Kaguya-sama Love is War. Right. And his response was basically, Oshinoko is like the type of writer that he sees himself as. And that Kaguya-sama is basically a comedy formula that he did at the recommendation of his editors oh no yeah. it, it, I mean, it's, it's the spy family is bad and yeah. i hate it all over again I, uh, I don't necessarily think quite that level and also even the spy family thing is I taken mean, out of context yes that's the joke it yeah was he, he did he did mention he did he, he did mention that he does incorporate some of the kaguya sama style comedy into oshinoko which we do see in episode five i think 
but you know i think this is only supporting my this guy wishes he was nisio eisen theory <laughs> mm. why would anybody want to be nisio eisen yeah, uh, i'm not i'm not i'm not questioning why you would want to say that but it feels like the you know if you recall in the very first time we talked about oshinoko i was like this felt kind of like nisio eisen light in mm-hmm. some time some regards and um i mean the the main reason that you would want to be nisa i say is cha-ching well <laughs> yeah but anyway i feel like and again you know we try to judge these things of course in, in as much as we can in a vacuum without as the context but the context there folks so just keeping that interview in mind it was interesting over these two episodes because um so episode five to me, the biggest thing was mostly the comedy in episode five, whereas right, episode yes, six is, uh... is not fun at all. But episode no, episode but... five is um, so basically we actually I guess two things happen. One, Aqua gets casted onto a dating show, I guess. Right. Like, like, it. like a very a very like intentionally like Terrace House inspired. Yeah, it's more of like a reality um... put put people in a room and see which yeah. see who hooks up type of show right right like like uh, yeah like, like like the uh the sort of like what is it like sort of um quote-unquote unscripted like more naturalistic reality tv show but obviously like yeah and that, that comes you know, more into yeah that comes more into play in episode six but we see a little bit of an episode five where we he meets you know some of the people there and Weird to me, well, maybe not weird, but interesting. He seems to almost be more sympathetic to the production of this reality show than to the drama. <laughs> the drama well, production. Well, I think it's, a, it's, but... it's an interesting perspective, right? Because like what he recognizes, or I think it comes from the direction of, and it sort of becomes more apparent in episode six, right? That like Aquamarine initially went into this kind of kind of condescending, right? Like, kind of like, all right, like, I'm doing this as a favor, right? Because the the premise, right, is that he gets this gig because uh, the producer from the prior show said that he'll, like, spill the dirt on um, on I, right? Right. And that will get him closer to finding out who, like, his father is, right? Or And he kind of goes and be like, all right, I'll do this out of obligation, right? I'll play the role of the pretty high schooler, right? And it's kind of like, he comes to sort of appreciate that, you know what, like, even sort of for something like this, Something that I personally find this like vapid and shallow. Like there's real production going into this, right? Like yeah. that the, the actors are here to do their jobs and people are being professionals about it. Right. And even though I guess even though it is not uh it is it is actually unscripted, even though there is like direction and stuff going on. Well, oh the, yes, the people are true. the people are still like able to make their own decisions on what they decide to do on the show, right? So yeah. that was kind of like surprising to him i guess but and then um we kind of leave on that for a bit for this episode anyways because then the other like kind of major plot line is yeah um, we actually get ruby screen time uh yeah weird (laughs) and and, uh her she she has she has convinced uh kana the child act the former child actress or to join her idol group Mm -hmm. uh, with their production company but they have no plan or anything like have <laughs> nothing. I mean, I'll be real, out. man. Like these two episodes are have because like is this 
Is it I is this idol group that Rubius formed just like a glorified after school hangout club? Because they don't really seem to be doing a lot of idol stuff. They would say, like, well, we don't have any songs, we don't have any dance dances or anything. Like we have right, nothing, you know, no, nothing. We're just like, like Yeah, like Kana mentions like, yeah, like I have a following and like I could probably leverage it to a certain extent, but also like I'm I'm seen on the internet as a washed up has been child actor. And like yeah. Ruby has like zero online presence at all, right? So it's like so they turn they turn to uh, the production company has a their their top YouTube star, yes, uh, yeah. who I can't remember his name right now, but he's a a fitness YouTuber, I guess. Yeah, I guess his gimmick, right, is like, and this is sort of real, or I mean, my my understanding is like this sort of gimmick is like based off of like some real like you know Japanese YouTube like personalities is like a yeah like a fitness youtuber but he wears nothing but like you know a speedo and a bird mask right sure. yeah it's like he's a super he talks in a really you know talks Some in a really high pitched like <laughs> yeah like really yes. high pitched bird voice you know and uh of course like you know kana is like you can't be fucking serious like i'm an actor like i and then Fucking fitness instructor is like, by the way, I bring in a hundred million yen a year, like off of like my YouTube uh, my, like, ad your revenue, pa- your Patreon shit, or, or yeah, like, yeah, you know, inane, so like, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she instantly yeah. is on board after he says that, yes. right? It's very so the, the whole sequence is quite funny because he gets them to come onto her onto his uh, channel, and the video they do is we're gonna do this exercise choreography for a full hour straight. And, uh, you know, Ruby, who is, you know, still pure of heart, does not want to mm-hmm. lie to the public and, and just cut it so that it looks like that they were doing it for an hour. And she actually is determined for her and Kanda to do this for an hour, even though they, you know, are not. I mean, it's very hard to exercise straight for an hour on camera, right? Yeah. So, like, they, yeah. Did they do another 90 minute episode for this? Of, uh... No, <laughs> although somebody did put it. So, so there was an official video of somebody doing it for an hour that they put up uh, for right. real. There is a very long, well animated sequence of them doing it for a couple minutes, though. Yeah, I mean, when when you see like Kaguya style humor, right? This almost feels like it's meant to be Oshinoko's equivalent of like the Fujiwara dance in the first season of yes. of uh, of this, Kaguya-sama. This, right? That's what I was hearing about this episode. Trying was, like, to. There's something in this episode that's designed to go viral. Yeah. 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 And uh, it, but it, no, it's 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 a funny set. It's a funny sequence, a funny scene, and it's also like, again, it feels like, yeah, this is the writer of Kaguya-sama, right? And yeah, and like, I, and here's the thing, right? It's like Ruby is not necessarily like you know, look, she. Let's be real, right? She simply does not get as much screen time as as Aquamarine, but like. I do actually think there's somewhat of an interesting dynamic there, right, of, like, despite her and Kana, like, ostensibly being the same ages, like, Kana is a cynic, right? She has yes. seen the worst of the entertainment industry, having done this since she was a child, and, like, contrasting that cynicism with Ruby's, like, for now, it is portrayed as, like, admirable optimism, and I am curious, like, if this is the type of show that will eventually, like, force her to confront, like, the harsher realities of, like, this path yeah. that she is going down. I think they would if they ever give her more screen time. We'll see. Yeah, if she gets screen time, which is, again, maybe one of the problems. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, and I, I just think it's weird, though, because I, 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 I enjoyed that scene, like, it was funny, but I feel like it just did not fit 
the rest of the show. And maybe this is going to what Aqua said on the last episode, where this pl- this show can just be all over the place, yeah, especially like, especially when we shift tone to episode six, right? Like, right. So here's the thing, right? Like that style of Kaguya style of humor makes sense in Kaguya, where like. You know, Kaguya at its absolute most dramatic was like what the last episode of season one. Yeah. You know, like the end of season three, or, or any like, of any of the season finale episodes is like the moment right, they which, get dramatic for like half an but, episode. But even right? then, like that drama is like basic like school shit, right? Like yeah. it's it's you know confessing to my crush, or oh no, my my crush has an overbearing parent. You know, it's like it's it's small time shit, right? And so. You know, the, like, the style of humor in Kaguya-sama plays off that well. I think where maybe Oshinoko runs into an issue is, like, you have something like that Kaguya-style humor in episode 5. And then you veer into episode 6, which really just goes, like, all in on maybe the, like... It it goes all in in, like, maybe the darkest possible direction you could take a show about the entertainment industry. (laughs) Yeah. So, episode somebody, six. Somebody's got to sleep their way to the top. Well, no, but uh, it, it, it a different direction with it. That that would be okay. another way you could go if you wanted to make a dark episode. But I have, and I have a feeling that will pop up at some point. Mm-hmm. But uh, episode six turns the focus back over to Aqua's reality show, and you know, as the as the episodes go on, you know, some care some of the the people end up becoming, you know, the popular ones and others are not. And one of the girls who is not popular, we start to see some of her background and, you know, pressure from her agency and her agent and, you know, to be successful and and get on and, you know, get recognized on the show so that she can, you know, get other parts or whatever. And, you know, she's not getting any screen time because she's just kind of boring, right? So, um... And, and, and they, do a good, they do a good job of, like, showing that this is a person who is, like, who has put in the work. Yes. Right? Like, so, like this, is not, this is not a case of, like, oh, she's just, like, a middling actress or she's not putting in the work and that's why she's not standing out. Like, they, they specifically show that, like, oh, she got into – she was inspired to become an actress since she was a kid. She attended classes. She took mentorships that she, like, you know, that she practices every day, you know. Like, they, they, they very much want you to understand that this girl is a hard worker. Right. And that it gets confronted immediately by the reality that being a hard worker is simply – alone is not good enough to succeed in the entertainment industry. Yeah. And, you know, this eventually kind of leads into the main, I think, theme of the episode, which is, you know, the how the effect of, you know, people, things people are saying on social media, right? So yeah, she kind of goes from just being invisible as she's, you know, scrolling through Twitter of, of people's reactions and trying to see what people are saying about her to, um, well... I guess the big change, the big inciting incident here is she's determined to stand out on the show somehow. And the the two most popular people, this guy and girl, are like, you know, things are heating up between the, their relationship. And she decides, I'm going to try to go break them up or something. And there's this very... Right, cause drama, you know. You yeah, know, just right. to Somewhere. cause some drama and get noticed and, you know, maybe... Pe- Maybe people will hate me or whatever, but, I'm, but they'll notice me, right? Like that they'll start. Right. The people will so be talking is it, about me. Is this episode about becoming the main character of Twitter for a day? Like, 
No such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, well, essentially, yes, kind of. Um, yeah, it's but, not. But of course, it is taking the perspective of <sighs> Japanese fandom and how right. Japanese fandom interacts with the Japanese entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying by that is, if anyone has ever read an article about idol culture in Japan, right, you know what I'm getting at here. And yeah. so it kind of so basically like. Akane decide. Uh, that's the name of the hardworking uh, actress mm. who is kind of fading into the background. Okay, another another. Uh, this is why I'm getting these names confused because we were just talking about another Akane earlier. But yes, <laughs> uh, Akane it basically tries to like you know be a wedge uh, mm-hmm. uh, against um, another actress named Yuki. Yuki is sort of the she is the kind of the standout star of the show. Right, we kind of find out. You know, we we you know we have scenes with her in Aquamarine that kind of show that like she is just a natural like. She just has a knack for being charismatic, right? She's right, just right. inherently good at dealing with people. Like she even like throws Aqua like for a loop with like how good her like acting is, like how naturalistic her acting is. Mm-hmm. And you know, Yuki doesn't necessarily mean it with antagonism, but like she acknowledges what Akane is trying to do and is like I'm working just as hard as you in this industry. Like, I don't know what your tragic backstory is, but I'm not just going to roll over for it, right? Mm-hmm. And this all kind of culminates in Akane having a, like, real heated breakdown during the filming of the show. Yeah. Like, not just, like, a pretend, right. scripted, like, but, like, yeah. scripted, but, like, like straight up, like, you fucking bitch, you know, straight up, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, swings her hand out at Yuki, Maybe not intentionally so, but ends up like uh, uh, swiping kind her of, cheek. Yeah, with, kind of slapping her in the face and right. scratching her yeah. face. Scratching yeah. her face, right? Uh-huh. And important, of course, is that these are all you know attractive young actors, you know, with modeling careers and right. such, right? And so this, of course, becomes a scandal. But what's important about this scandal, right, is that, and here's the thing I'm very curious about with Yuki. Does Yuki actually forgive Akane, or is this also just another play? You know, but but like Yuki and Akane make up pretty quickly. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they, they I, I have feel that, like, like I they, feel they like step that away was... from the cameras, and yeah, I feel like that they, was... they, they do explicitly say that wasn't filmed, so it's not like Yuki was necessarily like playing up for the yeah. camera. But the the important know. part, because I feel like that was that was probably genuine. The important part is the online reaction, right? Right. So once the internet gets a hold of this, though, like it instantly turns to death threats, harassment, you know, going after Akane's family, right? You know, you're seeing messages online of like, if this is how Akane turned out, what kind of fucking, you know, stank whore must her mother be, you know? Like stuff like that, you know, like, you know, adding, you know, Akane in the DM saying, do you want to apologize? You should fucking kill yourself. Yeah. The like, things that's the you only would expect. Way. There was that. I mean, on actual Terrace House a few years ago, there was yeah, that. Yeah, somebody committed suicide on right. Terrace House, for real. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was a uh, young yeah. lady wrestler. When was that? Uh, when did Oceanoco start? Is that I mean, some, I think, like... That's some, like... like I think the government... So, Oceanoco started, like, right before that happened. Holy shit. So, so it's not even, like, a... Or so that, started. That, that would, that'd be, like, almost a... I mean... I don't wow, that's know. like a rip from the headlines. Yeah, thing, I don't huh? know if it's a weekly or monthly, yeah. but that's basically a rip yeah. from the headlines almost. Like, yeah, that's but that's that, that... yeah, hmm. but that's well, kind yeah, of so what anyways... they're 
going for right yeah. like yeah. yeah right it's like there's a lot of intense cyberbullying, right just like and of course there's an aspect of like they get into this with multiple characters kind of says this uh the the youtuber on the show says this right like the tragic reality of like what akane does here is like and, and this is not to victim blame her let me be clear but her actions are like she does all of the worst possible things you can do when you become the main character of twitter like she tries to tweet through it. She tries to apologize. She admits to her wrongdoing. And, like, you have multiple characters. She she looks up her own name on, like, anonymous message boards. She goes to 2chan. Oh, like, she To look herself up. Oh, you know? Boy. And it's like, and it's like multiple characters in this episode are like, you should really only Not, do that. Right. Like, if... Don't read the comments. No, yeah, don't read the comments, right? And especially if you're a sensitive person, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you can't take... And, I, and I'm not saying you should be good at taking this type of harassment, but like if you if you know that you are especially sensitive to it, yeah, you gotta it's, get it's, offline. You know? Yeah, it's on, not. On it's the not... Other hand, I, I understand the sort of horrible fascination. Well, like, of course, yeah, right? it's, it's it's not that it's not, it's not her it's not her fault, but it's also reality, right? Like it's right. if you if you're gonna do that, that's what you're gonna run into. And yeah, and, and go ahead, G. Go on. No, I mean, I mean, it's just like, and, and so the rest of the episode just focuses on her like really, really grim downward spiral, you know, like, just... and you see it, you see it happening kind of gradually over time. Is like, and there's people who are like concerned for her, but she's like, oh yeah, I'm fine or whatever. But you know, right, I mean, that's the important thing to remember, right? Is like this is all happening on the internet in real life. Well. So, you know, there's a moment where, like, she, you know, the classic anime trope of she's in the bathroom stall and then overhears a couple of girls at her school, like, talking shit about her. But, like, I, I think th- this show makes a very important distinction that the worst of the harassment is happening online. Her coworkers are not abusing her. The show has not, like, you know, it has not, like, kicked her off or anything. Right? I mean, they're not defending her. You know, they're certainly not standing by her, but they have not, like, turned on her, right? Uh, she is, I mean, there is a scene towards the end where her co-worker or, you know, co-actors are like broadly still supportive, right? Because right. Yuki forgave her, right? Like they, the, the people who were actually there when it happened understand it was a heated moment, right? That it was a, an unintentional, like lashing out, not like a malicious action, but the internet does not, you know, the internet hate machine does not care for that, right? It, it sees it sees a target that society says is okay to bully and like descends upon it like you know a, a cloud of locusts yeah and you know this uh comes to its the conclusion that they're kind of hinting at the whole episode where she basically attempts to end her life right and mm-hmm. i don't know, aqua swoops in at the last second to save her i guess which i yeah which kind of is, leads to my next part of this discussion where it's like, I, I, I appreciate what this episode was trying to do and the message I'm very much on board with as of course, far as, yeah, no, like, I, I think, and I, I think, think there, I think it's a pretty unapologetic portrayal of like cyberbullying, like for yeah. sure. Like, and that I, is I deeply think, sympathetic to its victim. I think s- some of the depiction of it is very well done, and some of it, I think, is a little too ham-fisted on the nose. I mean, for fuck's sake, like, the girl is literally one foot off the railing when Aquamarine comes in for the save, right? Yeah. It's like some... Yeah, you know, so, it's, so like, it's... I think I think the more internal parts when it's like, 
her reading stuff online and how they depict that and everything was good. Yeah. But like everything else is very melodramatic. There's a lot of big mm-hmm. speeches again. I'm so sick of the yeah. speeches in this show. No, um, again, because well, I mean, the problem is like a lot of I mean, these speeches are falling into the trap of like, to you, layman viewer who may not understand, allow I, the experienced YouTuber, to explain cyberbullying. And it's yeah, like, it's, I it's guess very. The question with the speeches, I guess, is do you feel that the characters are speaking to you or is it the author speaking it's to the you? It's the author speaking to you. Yes. Right. That's, See, that's. Yeah. That's not that, good. And I think that happens a lot in the show when I'm talking about, like, you know, it's the, again, the Nisio Eisen comparison. Like, it feels like that to me where it is, like, just the author like you said zig speaking directly to the audience and it's just people giving long monologues rather than like i said in the first mm-hmm. i said in the first time we talked about the show like i if you didn't tell me this was a manga i would think it was a, it was a novel like right. the adaptation because there's that so kind, talking. Yeah. it has that kind of like very over wordy kind of like self pontification i'm assuming right. yeah and and it kind of, I don't know, for me, it kind of dilutes a little bit what they're trying to, to say, because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, you guys are kind of just, you know, it's like, it's like they're, um, I don't know, rather, it it's the old show, don't tell, right? Like, rather than, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're making some effort to show us the effects of it, but it's also a lot of them, some people giving, getting up on their, you know, their soapbox and preaching about it, right? So, right. yeah. Um, Sorry, Ira, you were going to say yeah, something? Just, yeah, like, that's sort of the reason I like never liked Nishioisen stuff, is like it's it's all very pleased with itself all the time, right? Yeah, and again, I, I'm not saying it's at that level, because they are still talking about, like, real human things, <laughs> whereas Nishioisen is just like, we, like whatever philosophical clever my wordplay is. concept and wordplay that he thought of that day i am this so is tortured a, about which of these girls i should bang yeah this, this <laughs> is still this is still like talking about real things right but and then when we get to that ending and yeah and g you were, i think you're starting to hint at it uh so aqua does kind of swoop it and save her at the last second before she jumps now i'm and not saying not like it, yeah well so you, you go first yeah I'm not saying that I wish the show went through with it, per oh, se. No, no, no. That would have been a little too... <laughs> Although, little too I don't know if that would be out of the scope for the show, to be honest with, considering how it started. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know. It that, that, that starts to feed back into our problems with Aqua being the, the perfect, I've figured right, everything out. Right, I mean, out. he's... I mean, the fucker is. I mean, I, he, the, the the fucker started to turn into fucking light if he had gone into the entertainment industry instead of gotten the Death Note. You know, like there's like a, like there's that element of like smug super anime super genius that is happening here. That like, I mean, I I don't know the context, but I will say inherently the last minute suicide save is kind of a shitty trope because. That's not how it works in real life. No, and, and also, so the thing, you know, the, the, the it, it, bo- it sort of assumes that, yeah. like, by stopping the moment of madness, you have stopped the root of the problem. Right, and you like, know, it's a, well, I, it's I don't, a I don't that's... think the show's gonna go that far. I think, I think obviously there's a road ahead here, but and and we don't to be to be clear, we don't see if immediately what happens after that. We only see like no. the moment, and that's where the episode. Yeah, ends. yeah right. I, I'm not so... necessarily saying that. I'm not necessarily saying that this particular example of that 
contains all of those parts. But right. I'm saying the trope has sort of become so yeah. played out and mel- like the trope is inherently associated with the bad kind of melodrama. Right. I, I, so I do I do want to say just so you know anyone who's listening understands that we're not. I mean, like that. We do understand, like, what the show is doing here. Like, it does technically cover its tracks by having, like, it shows scenes of her co-workers texting her in their, like, group chat, like, you know, like, you know, line message board or whatever, right? Be like, hey, are you okay? Like, and hey, we, you know, you haven't responded to our last text in a little bit. Is everything cool, you know, and all that stuff, right? So it's like, technically... There is an understanding that, like, her co-workers know that she is not well. So it's not like Aquamarine just, like, swoops in out of nowhere. What, what's, but, but it is a little bothersome. It's like, okay, so it's like, you did, you did do the work to establish that they know that, like, she's likely in a really bad place. But then you have to, like, still explain, how did Aquamarine know that this was the night she was going to be feeling her most yeah, suicidal? Yeah, that spot. And know which spot, and know to get there in time. <laughs> Like, yeah it, it's, it's it's and that's where it like starts to fall apart because you talk about the show that's been so like pretty grounded in and and unapologetic about its portrayal of like the entertainment industry and then you still kind of have this like anime melodramatic shit happening you know? yeah i mean again I, I always keep coming back to the first episode like they, I, they didn't pull their punches on the first episode, and again, and again, I don't. I, don't, I they could have found another way around this. I don't. I'm not saying that they should have went yeah. through with it, but like it's just like they found they it, it, they decided to just use that opportunity to feed into the Aqua as a super genius trope, right? And that's the part that's driving us crazy with this show, right? Like, um, if anything, like the like the only thing reason why it might end up working for me, right, is like. Like for as much of a as much as it's kind of a prick as Aquamarine has become, now having lived I don't know one and a half lives at this point, I do think that like an element of this is probably motivated by like you know in his past life, right? Like the thing that kind of or the thing that kind of drives both of the lives he lives, right, is his failure to save the lives of like people close to him, right? Like he could not save yeah. the sick girl as a doctor and there was nothing he could do for I as her child. And so I can, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's like the thing of like, okay, so I can kind of see that it's, it's probably like, it's not that Aquamarine is just like this, like Machiavellian manipulator. He is probably somewhat motivated by his like humanitarian desire to help people. But like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a it, it's not as slickly achieve, executed as that first episode, and I think that's kind of just true in general for this show. Yeah, it it still feels like an anime, if that makes sense. Like these are the things <laughs> that would happen. These are the things that would happen in an anime, right? Like, it still feels like an anime. I don't know. You know what? <laughs> I, I I started I started I like I actually was thinking about. Um, comparing this to the the latest episode of Heavenly Delusion, which I, I know it's very different circumstances, but just as far as like depicting human tragedy, right? Like, I don't know the the way the way that show handled it and kind of like accepted it and dealt with it. I feel like was not felt felt so much more like natural and real and like 
like I felt so much more emotionally connected to that Which character that I had because, never seen before yeah. prior to like, and also you know, because the situation is so much more fantastical. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas, yeah. In, whereas in this one, it uh, you know it it felt like a story. Some while while the things that were happening were real, and again, you know, I think. I, I'm on board with addressing those issues. It still felt like this is a story someone is telling me, if that makes sense. Like it's it just, it, yeah. I, it wasn't as connected to it, right? Like it felt like, that's okay. That's kind of what I mean when I'm saying the it felt like an anime. Not as suspended. Because it was still, it was still, fit, it was still fitting into like the anime formulas of how this story is being told, told right? And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, and, it's hard. It's hard to like explain that in words, but yeah. I think if you watch it, it makes sense, but I mean, the, if it, the thing you know, if I you would watch say, a lot of anime, it makes sense. <laughs> the thing I would say is that I think, and this isn't just true for anime; it's true for like media in general. Is that a lot of that work is done before the actual quote-unquote big issue comes up, right? If you've built your characters out as three-dimensional characters who have the emotional depth on their own to kind of like react realistically to the situation, I think you've done a lot of the work you need to help the audience suspend their disbelief, right? Yeah, or I guess even how your show normally depicts things. And again, this all ties back to the everything being told in long monologues and everything. But it, yeah, I, I don't want to keep going <laughs> in loops on it. It just, it, 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 I, you know, when I was seeing everybody buzzing about this episode I'm, and I felt like, I was not in agreement with everyone else on, on the, my opinion on this episode. It, even if it wasn't bad per se, it was like, I feel like there were still a lot of holes in. Yeah. I mean, in it, it's, it's very strongly directed, you know, I, which I guess you could, is, is also true of the show as a whole. I, I will say that, right? Like it, yeah. it is, it, the stuff hits, even if like, yes, once I stepped away from it, I was like, actually, I don't know if this holds up that well. <laughs> But yeah, but, the end know, result in the moment. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Oshinoko still, uh, yeah, not, not, a. you know, at least they're shaking things up still. Cause I was yeah, kind of worried, <laughs> you know, again, our, uh, it's just being worried about this show kind of settling into its, you know, and here's this type of show and how this gets made type of thing. There's, you know, they're t- still taking big swings here. So I'll give them that sure. much. All right. Well, talk about another show that makes some big swings. Yeah, uh, let's conclude mm-hmm. with uh, swings of an saga. axe. That is. Well, G, you made it back in time. Yeah. What's uh, what's been yeah, going yeah. on? Yeah, in in, in Norway or no, in England. Uh, so, what to recap the situation? Basically, King Canute is on his way to seize Kettle's farm. Uh, meanwhile, while Kettle is away, uh, Gardar, a runaway slave, appeared uh, to say to claim his wife Arnhide, who was also a slave at that farm, and he killed a lot of people and was killed in turn, and and uh, our heroes uh, Thorfinn and Einar and Arnhide are all locked up because they tried to escape or tried to assist some way yes. to escape. So and the worst possible situation for Kettle to come back to while fleeing the worst possible situation. 
Yeah, and that sort of becomes the core of the first of these two episodes, which is uh, titled The First Method. And this sort of gets into Thorfinn's continued struggle with, like, what does pacifism mean, right? Because everybody tells Thorfinn, you did the right thing throwing hands with Snake, the, the, um, the, the hired guard mercenary for Kettle's farm, because you were trying to save people from, you know bondage, right? But Thorfinn struggles with this because he, everybody says, no, you did it for a righteous cause. Like, you were trying to save those people. Like, it was a good thing you went back on your pacifism and fought that guy. And Thorfinn is deeply troubled by this because he asks the question, isn't, isn't this what everybody tells themselves when they commit violence? That, well, those guys over there, they're violent and crazy, but you know, me, I'm doing it for the right reasons. And it is sort of seen in every character in this arc. Canute is convinced that violently seizing Kettle's farm will give him the resources he needs to wage his war on England, and that his war in England will go smoother if he has the resources he has taken from Kettle. Thus, in the long term, there will be less violence as a result. Kettle... <sighs> also resorts to violence as his first means of problem-solving when he returns to his farm to find out that Arnhide attempted to escape. And this is sort of the moment that the show has been building up to, with Kettle being portrayed as the, like, sort of milk-toast but broadly benevolent slave master by the standards of this time period. You know, he is willing to free his slaves, you know, if they work for him enough and such, right? And he is broadly portrayed as someone who does not like to inflict terrible amounts of violence on his slaves. And it's sort of that very grim reminder that that personality is manicured by, in essence, the privilege he enjoyed as a someone in a position of power. And what we see with Kettle this week is once that power has been removed, once he is placed in the worst possible situation on the worst day of his life, what is the true like face of his character? And the true face of Kettle is upon finding out that his favorite sex slave attempted to run away is to savagely beat her half to death with a stick. That is that is what a benevolent slave master looks like in I mean, it's, Europe. It's easy to be benevolent when you have absolute and complete control over everything. Exactly, right? yes. yes. It's easy is... not to resort to violence when there's nothing that you need or want. Yeah, Exactly, or... and, and that is that is very much what this episode is about. When it Titled The First Method, right, is that it is easy to be kind and good when things are going well. But who are you on your worst day? And that's what we find out about Kettle. And... That all sort of leads into the second of these two episodes, uh, the Battle of Kettle's Farm, where Knut's men have uh, boarded the beaches of Kettle's Farm. He has brought with him a hundred trained, you know, Danish Viking soldiers, his King's Guard, the Joms Vikings, you know, the best of the best, right? And, you know, they are up against Kettle's Farm of like 300. You know, tenant farm, you know, farm hands and peasants (laughs) and freed slaves. And, you know, look, if you were like, boy, there sure doesn't seem like there's a lot of Viking violence in in Vinland Saga these days. Uh, This episode is a reminder that uh, 
oh yeah, for a certain period of time, um, being able to command dudes to wear armor and stand in a line and not break under pressure is like enough to turn to have like one of the strongest armies of this time period. <laughs> You know? Right, like it's it's three to one, and it's not even close. Right, like Canute's men do not break under pressure; they stay in formation. You know, they have armor; <laughs> they got chains. They don't have man. They don't have pots on their heads. There's literally a dude in fucking Kettle's side of the battle wearing a bucket on his head, man. <laughs> you know, Use and what you got. Uh, yeah, it it, it is. You know, just just that that reminder that this is what a professional army looks like in the medieval period. Right. But this deeply troubles Thorfinn because over the course of these two episodes, Thorfinn essentially earns his freedom. Um, Leif mm. brokered a deal with Kettle before everything had gone bad to free Thorfinn and allow Leif to take Thorfinn with him. And yes. I guess technically true to his word, Kettle does technically still uphold the deal, right? Let's allow Thorfinn to leave with Leif. Mm-hmm. And Leif is like, dude, we gotta get out of here. This is about <laughs> to go super fucking bad. And Thorfinn looks at the situation, and again, he is forced to ask himself, ask himself, hundreds of people are going to be killed here. There is going to be an untold amount of suffering. What can a pacifist hope to do in a situation like this? Is there anything he can hope to do to if not stop it from happening, then at least mitigate some of the harm. And is the dreadful, is the dreadful realization you come to that, oh, the only way to stop this degree of violence is with an equal degree of violence and power. And if that is so, then why were any of us put on this earth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And does it, do we, uh... No, it's space where we'll leave off, or, like, the battle's happening. Uh, and all that. And, of course, because of stuff that happened in Season 1, like, this is all to facilitate Canute and Thorfinn meeting once again. Uh, yes. Uh, on... With the um, dynamic completely flipped, right? Uh, under the best of circumstances. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's... I can't... I, I'm sorry, guys. This show is just so fucking good. Like, I can't... <laughs> <laughs> saga it's this is what this has all been building up to man i say it every week like this these storylines are what it's all been it's all been building towards and i'm so happy they are executing on it as well as they are i Mm -hmm. i just a show that is willing to like ask these questions and like not give our heroes easy outs right like orphan it's not like truly it's not like you find some magic solution that makes everything better right like that saves everybody right yeah like these people are already killing each other you know the battle has already started you know and like we kind of didn't get into it er in in the previous podcast but like this battle was sort of preluded by a previous conflict where when snake and um thorfinn were fighting Mm -hmm. you know once again you could almost ask why do these two guys have to fight they used to be friends and snake is like Garter, the escaped slave, killed my men. And, like, as far as Snake is concerned, that is an entirely valid reason to escalate the violence. And in this era, he's not entirely wrong. Like, an escaped slave has killed five of his men. People right. he considered, considered, like, comrades in arms. It's like, and is, are, is, is that slave's life worth more than the lives of my men? Or, you know, like... And it's like, once... 
and and it's like that reality that once blood has been spilled, it is, <laughs> especially with the morality and societal norms of medieval Europe, mm-hmm. it's basically almost impossible to put that sword back in the sheath. And and that was just a, a skirmish, right? That was like a fight between like a slave and like five guys, you know, on a farm. Now we're talking a battle, you know, involving hundreds of people, right? And it's like, what could you possibly hope to do, you know? And... That is the question yeah. that Thorfinn is going to struggle with for probably oh, yeah. the rest of the season. I guess we'll find out uh, in the next... Uh, so they're going to just leave you hanging there at the end, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So. For good. So, so G, as the, the manga reader on this, do you do you have an idea where they're going to... Since there's only a couple episodes left, do you have an idea where they're going to stop? Yeah, I think I think they, I think we are going to finish up the, the farmland saga arc here. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, that'll be a damn good place to end the Vinland Saga anime. <laughs> okay. Not bad, huh? It's not that bad. It's just, you know, yeah. this is Vinland Saga at its best, at its absolute peak. You know, this is the mm-hmm. Golden Age era. You know, if, you know, you talk about the Golden Age arc of Berserk, right? This, right, right. this is it for Vinland Saga. This is as good as it gets. Yeah. And, uh, All right. Okay. Yeah, it's a real good show. Watch Sounds it if you're good. willing to watch all season one also. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. You gotta watch season one first. <laughs> yeah, that continues to be my hurdle on this, but yeah. The other yeah. the other issue is there seem to be a lot of good shows this season, yeah. huh? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's gonna do it for this episode then. So let's do our housekeeping. You can check us out at theglorialblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter still at the Blog or at Blog. I think it's just at Glorio blog and then uh, uh, co-host at Glorio. No, it's at the Glorio blog on Twitter. Okay. It is the, okay. You think, <laughs> I, would, you think I would remember after like 12 years now, right? I mean, but, look, uh, nobody's going to be on that thing in a year anyway. So yeah, um, I, I have, I have significantly reduced my Twitter time in the past uh, three, three or four months, I would guess. But yes, oh, anyway, weird, huh? um, Yep, and for the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and of course YouTube. You can like, comment, subscribe, ring that notification bell. Uh, you know, leave, leave those comments telling us uh, about any of the shows we're missing, or you know why that episode of Oshinoko was actually good and we're wrong. Uh, <laughs> all those good things. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. And we'll catch everybody next time. Shit, I didn't even get a chance to talk about my birdie wing witch from Mercury crossover. Spoilers. God damn it. (laughs)